Hello, one and all, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on June the 17th of 2020. I am Nick here alongside Chris. That's me. And I'm very tired, but we've got a lot of manga stuff to talk Nick, about. Nick, did you so. do another 12-hour stream this week? Without you. <laughs> it's like, Nick, it was only last week we were doing the 12-hour stream. You're like, well, I would explain why no one was there. <laughs> just, just like, I'm sure Chris will be here soon. <laughs> Uh, so this was a weird thing I found as a result. So we, we did the whole charity stream last week. And by the way, we, we, we donated the $6,000. We even had a little afterwards for that. So it was very, very cool. Uh, and you'll notice if you watch that episode, we started right, kind of like, yeah, all right, let's do this. We're like home stretch. And then by the end, clearly both of us are just wiped. Uh, I got done recording. I went downstairs just to relax. And, uh, I've been, I've been doing fasting recently. So, uh, after like a certain time of the day, you can't have calories. So I got the, those like bubbly things and just because it has a taste, it's not water. And I was sitting down and I was like, why do my ears hurt so much? And I (laughs) sat there, my ears were like red and I just sat there. It's like, I'm going to ice my ears down. (laughs) I just sat there with the can next to my ears and I was like, the human body's a fucking mess. This is this is the only real like situation that developed physically from the thing is I was like I have to ice my ears down. <laughs> I don't know, man. These 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 headphones are really cheap, so I don't know why I didn't have any of those problems. Maybe my ears are just like nice and they're like yes, I will fold around whatever you place them into, and they're like you know like they kind of like grasp out with their tendrils and snugly hold on to the headphones for me or something. <laughs> Well, I have these giant monster ears, so it's it's just a byproduct of, I guess, them being very large and then having, like, because my, my, my headset, like, completely encloses on the ears, right, so it's yeah. kind of like noise canceling. I think when you do that for 12 hours, basically, ears are just like, oh, man, I need to get some fresh air. What's going on over there? They want to get out. They want to blossom into the world. After we finish doing the... Uh recording the podcast last week and we were both just like it's close enough to 12 hours good night you know um, <laughs> yeah i literally like went into into bed immediately afterward and i just kind of like just just like lay face down just still for about half an hour and i got up like all right <laughs> and then i went you know when because i because i you know i get up at like nine o'clock and i don't usually go to sleep until one or two in the morning but, you know, it was 10 o'clock by this point. And then I just, it was like, I need to lie down for a bit. Okay, I'm fine. And then I'll come back in my usual. <laughs> you were like, batteries recharged. You sprung back like, up. Yeah, that did it. that's all I needed after exhausting myself. But no, uh, it's had like lingering effects for like the past week. I, I need I need to like regain control over the, the uh, sleep cadence that I had prior to that. Um, yeah. And part of the reason why uh, we're starting this recording late is because I took a nap and I woke up on time, but my computer decided to fuck itself over while I was neglecting it uh, for attention. So here we are. And Chris, we've got so much. So much to talk about. There's such a big week for some of the manga we cover. We've got a new manga beginning. We've got a manga ending. We've got an anime announcement uh, and all sorts of things. (laughs) So, yeah, we do. Let's do this shit. My Hero Academia. Oh, my hero! Oh, right, you gotta do one for every (laughs) chapter. There's gotta be one for all of them. 
I don't know if I'm a fan of this expanding gimmick. <laughs> Number 275, Encounter Part 2. There's a cover page after the first page where there's Azawa hanging out with a kitty. A very, very handsome kitty. Yeah. There's, um... There's much worse cover pages this week, so uh, by the nature of it not being basically pornography, uh, it's like top half at least, because Eden Zero had 16 cover pages this week. Hey, Eden Zero didn't show any pussy, I'll have you know. It was, hey, it's a pun. Look at that. Very clever. Shigaraki's got the quirk search from Ragdoll, as was hinted at last week. Uh, and as he, he explains to himself in a little bit of uh, thought of a just like, by the way, just so you know how I know what to look for. Apparently, all the data on people that the previous person used the quirk on, uh, I have all that, too. So. Which is a little bit weird because we've had it explained to us previously that some quirks, you know, if you copy them, then. They don't just have all the stuff that's built into them. I don't know. Maybe maybe one all for one's thing is different from just copying the base quirk and just steals everything. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, the idea would be that if you just take it as opposed to copying it, then you get all the benefits from it. Yeah, I guess also it's different from suppressing and destroying quirks. And so I'm sure that it's just like it works the way that the plot demands it work. And that's basically it. So, so uh, Endeavor uh, is chasing after him, of course. And uh, meanwhile, Endeavor is being contacted by Deku, who is trying to explain, you know, like, oh, I'm going off in this direction. Let me know if Shigaraki, you know, changes course uh, as I'm heading through all the dust and smoke. Uh, and Endeavor is like, look, I'm busy saving everyone's ass right now so i'm not going to bother to do that and then all of a sudden as he's saying that shigaraki suddenly stops uh lands after one of his big leaps and then flies off in a different direction and he's like oh he he did alter course all right and uh, deku says okay that well that confirms what i was thinking so uh he's after me so i'm going to try and lure him away um Shigaraki overhears Endeavor shouting across his communicator about this. And he's like, oh, that's really annoying that they just they're all linked up like that. I better put a stop to that. Uh, Deku is, of course, being followed by Bakugo as, as this is happening. Uh, he tell, says, like, um, you know, you don't you shouldn't follow me because, you know. But Bakugo is just like, I'm going to because I'm the only one who knows what's going on, so you don't need to explain it to me. And he's like, oh, okay, thanks. Bakugo proceeds to talk like an internet forum user, basically. He says, what, you think you're the main character now? No. I'm getting a little sick of this character type showing up in series just because it's kind of happening over and over again. It's the, happened a lot recently. The character seems to reference in a meta sense that they're not the main character. Um, well, I mean, it is a thing that people do, like, you know, because there's that thing that people where people will say, like, oh, NPCs that, and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. But yeah, Bakugo does it now, apparently. Doubt in Mashal uh, does it. Uh, and other people do it. So 
it's getting annoying seeing it pop up repeatedly as like a trope. I don't mind well. it as much for Bakugo just because it seems to fit his personality a bit more that he doesn't like to be overshadowed. It was maybe just a weird, I should say weird. I'm not a huge fan of the choice of words there, but it, it's it's not a bad choice of words. I, I understand what you mean. Uh, Bakugo also is refusing to let Deku hand this alone because he still feels guilt over All Might's, uh, you know, defeat and the loss of his powers uh, back in that big fight with All for One, which he actually freely admits to at this point. So he says, listen, one for all is just the bait for me. I, I'm going to get payback for that day. That's what I'm going to do. And Deku's like, yeah, all right, fine. Uh, but internally, Bakugo is acknowledging the fact that Deku has made a lot of progress with using his full cowling, and Deku keeps on getting stronger, and Bakugo is trying to have, have to work really hard not to be left behind. And he thinks back to when they were kids, and Deku was always trailing behind him, and he's like, no, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to stay a loser. So We cut over to Shigaraki, who uh, fig- has figured out the combination of quirks he wants to use, and he combines an air blast and radio waves and to, launches a blast over at Endeavor. And immediately everyone's uh, radio links just get overloaded and stop working. I assume we get like confirmation that one person's is going crazy. Anyway, Shigaraki uh, Shows up promptly in front of Deku and Bakugo, and I think Deku gets an image of like he and Bakugo disintegrating as Shigaraki reaches out towards them uh, as they realize how close to death they are. Uh, but before that, that can happen, Gran Torino shows up, grabs both of them, and he's like, What the fuck are you guys <laughs> doing? And uh, he explains that, you know, that Shigaraki's decay is even more powerful now. Even being hit with a stray piece of rubble will kill you. You don't stand a chance. And us heroes aren't done yet. So hang on, because we're going to bring it down, every one of us who's left. Ryukyu shows up. She lashes out towards Shigaraki, who, of course, just like, okay, goes to touch her hand. And then he immediately realizes as her hand keeps on coming towards him, oh, she's not disintegrating. Uh, I'm not sure what happens then. I think that she hits him, but it's kind of weird because we only see like him fly through the air and it doesn't look like he's really been hit because he's not detailed very well. Anyway, uh, Aizawa shows up and he remembers the great sacrifice that the number six hero Crust made. Oh, Crust, we hardly knew ye. We we did hardly know ye. Anyway. (laughs) Aizawa thinks to himself, you know, about all the people who's that have been affected by Shigaraki's actions. And he just says, don't you lay a finger on my students. And of course, his eyes are are focused entirely on Shigaraki. And Shigaraki's like, huh, you're pretty cool, Eraserhead. But he doesn't seem all that worried right now. So... Seems that Aizawa's quirk at least still works on Shigaraki with all of the power that he's got currently. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they're going to just negate his quirks and take him down and beat him, and yep. that'll be the end of the series. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna end nice and nice and neat there. Uh, so, how concerned are you for for uh, for Aizawa right now? Uh, 
pretty concerned. I was going to say, because this definitely so, feels like a big stand moment, but there's so many, like, we already know Gigantomachias around, Toga's going, like, it's very easy for someone to just interfere, and Aizawu's clearly now just shown himself to be a very big threat to Shigaraki's mm-hmm. domination. Shigaraki's also got the quirk erase bullets, uh, so... There are all sorts of different ways that Azal can be dealt with that he's not going to be able to defend against because he's just going to, you know, he's going to look at you. So I guess we'll see how things go. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, this kind of seems just like, you know, the little flicker of hope uh, the heroes are going to have right now. But hey, things are getting pretty intense uh, in this series. I do love how things, you know, kind of quickly came together in this chapter as Deku tried to get away from everyone. They were like, no, we're going to fight the guy. And they all kind of converged on him. So, yeah. That's always cool. I like it. Okay. Spy Family, Chapter 28. This was a weird chapter. <laughs> was there a spy family this week? There was a spy family. Did you not? It came out the same day as uh, as the uh, Jump series did. Yeah, I absolutely so. read it. Nick, you start. And I'm going to catch up with you several so, ways through. <laughs> we start this chapter actually in a little flashback. Uh, something that happened last month. And we see that... Uh, um, Someone is apologizing to the this company president as he talks about how uh, they're talking about the Desmond group. And uh, but the president just, you know, says to the worker who's apologizing to him, say, hey, hey, say no more. There was no other option. Our company is in dire straits financially. I only wish I knew how to tell my son that in less than a month's time, gloom and farted pharmaceuticals will cease to exist. And all his son is listening in. Meanwhile. We cut over to Anya's school, uh, and the kids have uh, are you know outside doing their cleaning duty and stuff like that. Anya is you know saying, "Oh, I'm sure that things are. I'm, I'm glad that things are going well because I didn't get a, a tonitrous bolt, a demerit, blah blah blah." Um, and there's a really weird little moment where she's talking with Becky and, she, and Kazanya mentions like, yeah, because Baba can be a real monster. And she's referring to him, you know, on his missions and stuff. And Becky's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Parents can be really hard on their kids uh, with their expectations. But monster mode, Lloyd sounds really hot. That's all right, honey. Keep, keep it, keep it down on the down low. Um, Damien is being a weirdo and like de- de- declaring move names while he's like spinning around with his broom, but he's six, so he's allowed to do that basically. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, his hangers on are like, you know, and a bunch of other admirers are like, oh my gosh, he's so cool. Look at him. He's so, he's so smart getting the Stella star and stuff like that. Bah, 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 bah. Um, but Anya all of a sudden, here's one person thinking that he hates. Damien and it's the Gloomin kid uh, and he thinks to himself about how oh my gosh my plan failed I had my butler hire a spy to change his test scores I don't understand what went wrong so <gasps> what happened here we find out this kid's name is George and uh, Ani is worried about that and Becky's like 
Hey, Anya, you're always like paying attention to Damien. Do you like like him? And and Anya's like, I want to know more about him. Oh my God, are you falling for this new kid too? Becky's weird, but mm-hmm. in an understandable way. If she's got one thing on her mind, then I understand why she's going jumping to the conclusions that she does. Anyway, George apparently is always gloomy. He's got these weird, co- constantly slanted eyes and stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, he tries to do go about his backup plan to ruin Damien's life by trying to get him in trouble by, like, framing him for leaving a cigarette butt on the ground. When Damien confronts him, he tries to pretend that he got knocked to the ground by it and stuff. And so, and... That, of course, Damien's hangers on are like, that asshole's lying, you know, and, and exactly those words because they're six. So they say those kinds of words. Some six year olds talk like that. Shut up. You don't know me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Nick might be an expert in this. I'm an expert on six year olds. Wait. <laughs> <We're> gonna, <laughs> don't take that. Hold on now. <laughs> we got to cut that part out and we have to replace it Listen, with a I'm PSA very tired now. This week. I'm very rambly. So. Anya, however, also actually stands up for Damien and uh, just says what happened. And uh, so um, the teacher who came over to confront uh, the kids about this uh, recognizes that Anya's kind of trouble. And so she, he's just like, uh, I'm going to leave this alone. I'm just going to leave this to someone else to handle. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Damien is shocked that Anya actually bothered to help him and stuff. Um, Anya, Becky is like, oh, you managed to show, show Damien how you feel. And he's like, what the fuck's going on? And Damien is, you know, Sundere about it, basically. Uh, but then he just turns his wrath over on, uh, George and it's like, why did you do that? And so George explains the situation being that, oh, his family's company went bankrupt. And so, uh, because of this, you know, you, you know your family's business, Damien drove mine to bankruptcy. So, um, he wanted to take it, you know, he wanted to take his revenge on him by uh, getting him to fail the midterm or do something. And he even said, like, I thought if you fail the midterm, then maybe your family would be too distracted to bother mine anymore. And Damien goes on to explain, like, look, we didn't drive you out of business. And I'm sure there's no other reason for, I'm sure there's some other reason that this happened and it has nothing to do with me. But George says, look, that doesn't make my having to leave school any easier. With our business gone, our family will be on the street tomorrow. And that'll be the end of my Eden education. I envy you, Damien. You have a prominent family. You're popular. You're still a star material. You're not trash like me. You're nothing like me. And Damien's hangers on are like, Damien's, uh, Damien earned the still a star on his own. And the only thing keeping you from being popular is you. You mope. And he starts crying. Because he's a, he's six, so eventually he gets he gets so upset that even Damien's like, "Hey, do, do you want me to like get you a juice?" Uh, I don't know. And and gradually George kind of opens up, but he's like, "Well, I guess that would be nice." And then he's like, "You know, if if you if you let me wear your 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 Stella Star, that'd be nice." Okay. Uh, then next, uh, and so he's kind of pushing his luck a little bit more and more. And he's gradually uh, kind of driving everyone's patience. But eventually, uh, people actually do kind of open up to him. They sing a, they sing their school uh, anthem for him because he's going to miss the chorus performance because of moving out of, out of school. And everyone's celebrating together in a big circle. They're all happy. And everyone's like, hey, here, here, 
Why don't you take a little bit of my stationery? Here, you can have my favorite book. You can have my watch. He's give, they're giving him all these nice, one, nice, lovely little thank you gifts. And uh, they're like, hey, you have to have fun at whatever school you go to. You always be a part of our of our hall, Cecile Hall. And he says, I'll do my best. I'll turn this pain in my heart and my strength. My life may be one of endless hardship, but I will face it walking tall and proud. And he walks off into the distance saying, farewell, my friends. Farewell, my beloved Eden Academy. And uh, he goes time. It, it's like the moment like with like raising a fist and don't like don't you forget about me plays. Like, yeah. it, it's like everything <laughs> about it's like as final as it could be. And then we have the rest of the chapter. <laughs> so Anya goes home and uh, she just basically like tells the whole story to her parents and like yours really moved. And Lloyd's like, you know, I'm not really sure how gloom and pharmaceuticals being bought out equates to bankruptcy. And of course, Anya doesn't know what that means because she, you know she's dumb. And this George goes home and he's got all of his presents and flowers and stuff with him. And his father says, "Like, well, our company was near insolvency. The Desmond Group saved us by buying us out. I'm deeply grateful to them for making a place for myself and our R and D teams, among others, at the new company. I mean, yeah, I'm not the president anymore, but in the Gloom and corporate name that that does not doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, I have a job and I'm grateful for that." And George is like, you mean I'm not going to be sold into slavery and I can still go to school? What are you talking about? The hell are you yeah, talking about, going boy? To, you're going to keep going to school, yeah, tomorrow and every day after. Have you done your homework? And George has to go back to school the next day. You're like, slow come to him like, you better fucking give back all the stuff that we gave you. <laughs> it was very, like, hard when we were just like, oh, poor kid. But, you know, as a reader, you're like, good, I like George. He's fun. Oh, and Damien's like saying, like, you better pay us back for that juice we bought you and on. You just kind of goes and gives a little comforting pat on the shoulder. <laughs> it's a really weird chapter. It's like all build up for one punchline. And then when the punchline happens, it's like, oh, OK, this chapter, I guess, was pretty good. I, I didn't really like the chapter as I was reading it. But then after it's over, it's like, that's actually really worth the build up. So. Plus, now we know who hired Daybreak. Yeah, a kid with a stoop with a bunch so. of money, basically. It's such a, it's a very like, uh, it's a very spy family thing to do too. Is just like, why did this spy get hurt? So some kid had a stupid misunderstanding about what was going on. He was rich, so he just gave a bunch of money to sabotage his classmate he didn't like. <laughs> All right, and so comes to a close this arc, I guess, or was this the afterword? I don't know. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a ticket. <laughs> All right. We got to talk about actage. Actage! So... Lights! Camera! Who gives a fuck? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, last There's chapter... fun for everybody in them. <laughs> because it includes the who gives a fuck for you, I guess? Yeah, it's fun for me! <laughs> 116. More! That's what the chapter title is. Yeah. So, last time Kay went in for an audition for a new part, apparently to be playing uh, someone connected to this uh, older woman. Oh. And by older, I mean like 30. Uh, and uh, she pulled a big stunt by posing as someone else. Um, but she was waiting in the waiting area as herself and then put her disguise on, I guess, when she slipped into the bathroom. I don't know. Anyway, so 
basically the point that you wanted to make was I wanted to show that I could play lots of different characters. And uh, we actually see the process that she went through in order to prepare for this, which was she impersonated uh, when started by starting with a, a classmate of hers named Inai and was just kind of like posing as her and stuff. Um, and basically uh, she got this idea from Kuroyama. And so she's just, you know, imitating this girl's mannerisms, her laughter, her, her gait and stuff like that. And she like follows her all the way home from school in order to, to do this. And then over time, she actually kind of like develops this image of who Imai is uh, from earlier in her life. And as she does this, she's acting more and more closely like her. Uh, and then she starts to see more sides of Imai because she starts off as, you know, this you know, plain looking girl with glasses. And then she goes out and apparently is like uh, basically doing um, was What's it called? Compensated dating, it seems like, because uh, she goes and puts on you know, a fancy dress and meets a guy in a suit and stuff. I might be jumping to a conclusion by saying that. Maybe she's just going on a date, but I don't it, know. It, it seems could, a little bit weird. It could be a date. The, the person she's with seems to be coded like an adult, like with yeah. the suit and being that much taller. It could just be another like another high school kid who's dressed up a lot, but... It was something where I was like, ah, I guess that's what they're going for. Also, this, the the way that the, their draw, jawline is drawn I mean, it seems to indicate to me that they're kind of older. Uh, anyway, from this, you know, she's like, you know, sees all these different sides of this one person. And so she's like, oh, this is fun. Acting is really fun. And she's imitating more and more people around her in her class. And she's thinking to herself, you know, more, 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 more. I got to imitate more people. And uh, what I think it's the director of the project claps his hands and says, hey, Yanagi, you know, one question. So you're a totally different person in each scene we do. Just how many characters did you bring with you today? And Kay kind of smugly, question mark, says 12. But, you know, each person has different faces, so maybe it's more like 30. And if 30 isn't enough, I'll make it 100. And if that's not enough, I'll do 1,000. I can play any role, so please give me one. And uh, you know, I tried the same line to the to the writers of Simpsons. They didn't put me on the cast. So I was like, <laughs> I can do everything. I could be uh, like we've do Sylvester Stallone. We already got five voice actors who can do that. Get out! <laughs> <laughs> and I headed over to Family Guy, and they were just like, "Sorry, it's, it's Seth MacFarlane already has a monopoly on eighty percent of the voices." And I was like, "Oh man!" And then I headed over to Big Mouth, and they're like, "Sorry, Nick Kroll gets first rights to do any voice on the show." I was like, "Ah, oh, jeez." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm machine. I went back thirty years, and they're like, "Nope, Mel Blanc." <laughs> I'm like. It's just no way to get ahead. Yes, not. So, this is surprised Actress Lady. And I have to say, so this part of Actage made me think, man, Kay's a lot more interesting when she just comes off as, like, vaguely sociopathic when she's doing this this whole acting thing. Because so often it just she's just kind of like, you know, this kind of, you know, mostly happy young girl who's just kind of happy to be doing something that she enjoys and getting paid well for so that she can provide for her family. Mm -hmm. But in this case, you know, the links that she goes to like stalking people and following them around in order to figure out how to act more like them. And then just kind of like 
sucking that part of their soul out of them and incorporating it into herself in order to improve her acting ability and being and being like more i have to have more and more and she's like yes i can be anyone yeah like, that's more interesting to me than just like i'm an actor <laughs> so i'm like is is kate the bad guy is that what we're trying to get at can we just like code chiyoko to be like you know like heroic antagonist and k is like villain protagonist and that'd be i don't know i I want Araya the next time he sees her to be like wait what did you do no i meant like ask (laughs) i meant ask permission to say like hey do you mind (laughs) that's what actors actually do is they actually like you know go to places and be like hey do you mind if i observe you for this role i want to do when i do (laughs) you imagine i I can't I, I I want Leonardo DiCaprio picks up. I don't know why Martin Scorsese is making a movie about uh the middle like middle age podcasting, <laughs> but like I wanted to see Leonardo DiCaprio in like my bushes with binoculars, just be like I don't know, man. I feel like if you want, you can just come in and talk. He's like, no, <laughs> it'll ruin this. I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut outside. Uh, the audition room and we see two of the uh, the two of the other girls who were with uh, K- in K's group walking out and and they're both you know basically have been blown away by K's pr- pr- preparation for this because they're like I didn't get the role so I really I want to you know prepare myself better I'm going to train myself harder uh, that kind of thing and so uh, K is congratulated by Oh, gosh, I forget her name. Kuriyama's assistant. Anyway, she's there. <laughs> That's fine. That's all the name she needs. Uh, and uh, Natsu, the idol girl who uh, was there, and we saw things from her perspective while they were actually in the audition. Uh, she doesn't go leave right away. She actually talks to Kay, and she's like, hey, you know, you, I wanted to ask you, is this the real you right now? Or are you, like, just doing another character, basically? And Kay says... Well, they're all the real me. Okay, so Kay's a little crazy. <laughs> yes, they're all me. They are all part of the collective. There's, there's, we're going to go into Kay's closet one day, and it's just a bunch of faces that have been carved off with a dagger and placed onto, like, little mannequin heads. <sighs> I am Sarah, and Sarah is me. <laughs> This, you know, I guess I just didn't really read this page because that is a very disturbing thing to say. <laughs> I can understand. I, I guess it's just Kay's way of saying they're all facets of me. That because I have some tan, like I have some way to relate to it, thus I can understand it, and it could be something I use. But it does sound weird. She's like, I just followed a bunch of people around, and they're all now part of me. Like, all right, Ermac, fuck off. It's really weird because like you could do a lot of different things in manga and based on the tone that you present them with you know normal things can seem badass or seem heroic or whatever and it feels like this could have just been something that just seemed awesome but something about the way that she spoke and looked while she was bragging about it was like no there's something weird about this so i have to wonder how intentional this kind of creepy vibe coming off of her is anyway ren tamaki uh comes over to Kay and gets immediately just like, I don't believe in personal space and puts her arm around her shoulders. Uh, and she asks how Sumiji's doing. 
And Cage is like, oh, you didn't come with us today. So she's like, all right, well, I'll see you on the set. She got the role, presumably, anyway. Uh, but Kay thinks back to the movie that they went and saw. And A, just as, you know, I, I, I said previously, yeah, she was the girl who was a Tempopo. Uh, she wasn't even credited in that movie. She was only credited as Tempopo. So she's like, huh, you know, even despite never seeing my face or my name, you were able to recognize me. And that was 15 years ago. I'm impressed because only the movie's crew knew that that was me. Yeah. Well, yeah. After all, you saw more because, you know, I feel kind of embarrassed now because you saw more than just that. Right. Because you saw I wasn't one tenth as good as you are now. But two years after that movie, I surpassed where you are now in name and essence. I'm a late bloomer. And Kuriyama's assistant is looking at him like, what's going on here? Is she like challenging her? Is I don't know. Given the way that Ren acts around her, I'm sure that there's something else going on. Anyway, Ren then goes on to say, you know, this is the first time I've been envious of someone's youth. Do you know why? And Kay doesn't. So she says, a movie is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Only children can play children's roles. Tell that to voice actors. Only a girl can play a girl's part. Uh, Kuriyama's assistant starts to say something, but Ren kind of ignores her and says, if I were 10 years younger, I would be by Subiji's side now, not you. And it makes me jealous, and I hate feeling jealous. What should I do? I'll counterattack by making him regret this. I wish I could have shot this movie with Tamaki, but I missed my chance. I'll have to make do with Yonagi. That's what I'll make him think. And uh, when she says this, she just steps forward and just puts her arms around Kay's shoulders like she's going to give her a hug. So clearly she's like doing some sort of intimidation tactic. But I don't know. Um, given the way that this series has portrayed Shioko and Kay's relationship, I'm going, like, is there just going to be like vaguely lesbian vibes to like every single rivalry that Kay has in this series? Because that's very like, I don't believe in personal space. So. <laughs> Uh, so I have a theory. Go ahead. Uh, Ren is not a person. She is a mannequin brought to life that has obtained sentience. And that explains why she has literally one expression, which is mouth open in a smile, eyes po- like pointed forwards. In basically every shot of her, she's doing the exact same expression and at one point, you're just like, do you get a lot, like, do a lot of flies fly into your mouth? Like, do you get a lot of bugs in there because your mouth's always open? Or are, you, a couple. <laughs> or are you smiling and this is like a really, you're like, why are you showing me so much teeth? Is this like a predator thing? She's like, she's, she's like talking, but she, she's just like this the entire time. She never actually moves her lips. So. I definitely, I, I see what you mean because, yeah, she does not like drop that smirk almost the entire chapter. She does it like once when Kay surprises her by identifying her. And that's like it. So, um, I don't know. This is, this is odd, but I'm kind of into it too, because when actage is weird is when is when it's most interesting to me, like how the beginning of this chapter I actually really liked because it's like, Kay's kind of a psychopath and I'm sort of into that. So, <laughs> All right, Chris. All right, let's move we've got, on. We've got 
We've got pinups to do deep analysis on here. I've so. got so it's this is Eden Zero Chapter ninety eight Advent of the the Demon King and there are ten pages of color spread fan service stuff about all the characters uh, because Eden Zero is getting an anime release. That's like it's the big celebration. It's only six pages, Chris. Don't exaggerate. It's it takes ten pages before you get to manga, <laughs> so that's how I did. I was like, yeah, it's ten pages of it. Um, so there's a bunch of color spreads. I literally have very little to say except that because of the way you know they, they show the cast and the big color spread. One, I don't like that Moscow is in it because that seems to indicate he's a big character, but I'm not too concerned uh, because Elfman was on the one for Fairy Tale and he wasn't an important That's character true. at all. <laughs> so don't need to worry about that. I do have one issue. I didn't think Witch looked like she like I didn't think she had human skin. Because yeah. I assumed she was just an android, and the fact that she was, like, molded to look like a leotard was just like, oh, that's just how, like, the robot joints were put together. And now knowing that she's just in a battle bunny costume constantly makes the character a lot more depressing to me. Well, Chris, there wasn't enough sexuality in Eden Zero without that addition, so it was a clearly necessary choice. Yeah, I guess so. The one observation that I actually have to make about all of these color spreads, besides Jesus Christ, Hero, is uh, I did not realize that uh, Lamelia, her hair, hair thing, her like ponytail bit, is actually disconnected from her head. So that's actually kind of a cool detail. It's like sci-fi hair extension. Uh-huh. And then there's a bunch of like uh, bikini shots in case there's something you're interested. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in that because we have a manga to get to, and that's the most interesting thing on the planet, isn't it? Especially yeah, this that's chapter. What, that's, what gets, that's what gets me turned on is yeah. having is having black and white images of action that I can barely tell what's going on. So what are you talking about, Nick? Because uh Dragon Joe has of course become a mindless monster who just says, Give it to me, give me life, uh, and just punches things. Uh but Cheeky uh looks stupid now, and he's stronger because of it. <laughs> so he starts using gravity. Isn't that just isn't that just shown in a nutshell? He looks stupid now, and that makes him stronger. I was like, I didn't. I guess I didn't get the full grasp of the design until I looked at this panel again. And I was like, yeah, that looks really dumb. But he what uses is, gravity. Does he have like what is his cloak thing? His coat with the tails, or is that a scarf? It's all the same color, so it's hard to tell. Are those supposed to be his ears, or are those horns? Why are they covered in, like, digital... Mar- you know what? Who cares? Because he uses his gravity powers, and his gravity powers are much more powerful now. He's literally able to pull the entire room towards him, and uh, it's creating, like, a black hole. Like, that's how dangerous this is. So, which is like, ah, Shiki's become more powerful. He's using this overdrive. That means we could focus in on this problem. Uh, they're going to blow up the big satellite, but they're like, oh, it has a shield. And they plug stuff into them, and they're like, we'll use our ether power. Meanwhile, there's a bunch of tentacle stuff. It's gross. Yeah. Uh, th- I guess they do at least reaffirm that bondage is the only confirmed way to stop ether gear power because Hamora's like, I can't use my ether gear in this state. So uh, Rebecca gets her guns out, shoots the tentacles, frees Hamora. Don't worry, Wonder Woman. I'll set you free. Yeah, and then Hamora uh, cuts off the rest of them. Uh, so there's that. Shiki stops Big Dracon Joe's hand. 
And then he's like, oh, no, a laser beam should fire now. Fire! Uh, but they blew up the satellite before it could fire, so they saved the day. Hooray. Yep. And then Draco Joe's like, no, no. And then we get a flashback, Nick. The Draco Joe. Arc. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Just you go. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get, give this thought in afterwards. Okay. So Draco Joe gets a flashback to he lived on a planet where basically it was Logan's run where nobody lives until they're past 15. Everyone stops at 15, apparently, and then they just die. Uh, they're guinea pigs specifically. They're being used for some science experiment, and all the kids are like, "Who cares? Why would anyone want to live longer? Being fifteen years old is long enough." And I guess children would be that dumb. I feel like anybody. I feel like if we had a lifespan of five thousand years, people would be like, "If we can't, I get to six thousand? Uh, but these are stupid children, so they don't know better. So Dragon Joe, he refuses this. He's the oddball. He's 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 the. He's the one person who's not on board with this. He wants to live. So he learns alchemy. He wants to live forever. Yeah. He wants to, that, however else that song goes by. Yep. And he learns alchemy to change other people's life into his life, which I guess alchemy could do in a world where magic could do anything. So his reasoning is, then maybe I could grow up and get strong and I could meet lots of people and maybe I could make friends. So because he was unable to make friends as a kid, which means that he was he was clearly an asshole even back then. So, well, I mean, does this still kind of imply Draco Joe was a sociopath as a child? Yes, that he was, he was definitely like, I'll kill people so I can live long and then I can yes. have friends. Uh, but Shiki. <laughs> so stupid. Shiki responds to this flashback. It says, you don't have to do that. I'll be your friend. And but, Drac- Chris, but Chris, how did he see Drac and Joe's flashback? Drac and Joe says, he took my memories. He made them fall into them. No, his gravity pulled them in. And the cat's memories, they fell into this world. So Shiki punches him very, very strong and blows up the evil parts of Draco Joe. And the other dude's just left. And he's like, time for you to go to sleep. Bam! This is so stupid. <laughs> Nick, let this be a moment. This is this, this a, a, a strong moment now. I'm going up to my head. And there's just going to be a loud click. And that's where I'm now turning my brain off for Eden Zero Forever. Because this is some straight Kingdom Hearts shit. Where it's like, yeah, he used his gravity to pull in memories. His power is gravity. You're like, all right, yeah, if we're just going to be stupid, let's just go hog wild. Took you 98 chapters to reach this point for this series. You read Fairy Tale, dude. <laughs> no, there was always that hold up, though. <laughs> like, maybe. Maybe this time. Do you remember back in when uh, in Bleach when Ichigo like first unveiled his Bankai uh-huh. and there was this huge deal because like the entire chapter was was color uh, and it was all just, you know, Ichigo having the conversation with Byakuya and then he takes the pose and then there's the big two page reveal of him with holding the new katana, which is the form of his Bankai. And it's like, oh, what a big moment. And you had all of this stuff to commemorate this occasion. And Eden Zero is like, well, we have a big, you know, event going on. 
uh, you know, the anime has just been announced to commemorate the occasion. Here's a whole bunch of really, really uncomfortable cheesecake. And then we're going to have a last minute character development at the end of a, a villain's fight as Jack and Joe's character arc takes yet another bizarre twist. And then Shiki's going to say something stupid about friendship and he'll punch him and win immediately after he uses his powers of gravity to remember things that would be impossible for him to remember. It's beautiful. It's the ultimate Eden Zero chapter. It's exactly what the hero fan base wants out of an anime announcement. Uh, So look, before this chapter, if you had told me what happened, I'd have been like, this is the dumbest, stupidest thing on the planet. This is like a a, a clear disconnect. No, now it's just stupid. This is best. This is maybe the best chapter of the week because it's so shamelessly stupid and nonsense. He could just gravity and memories now. It's what he can do. (laughs) It's how gravity works. I also enjoy the dumbness of Kingdom Hearts, so I guess I have to kind of enjoy this too. Woody just told that Heartless that he has no friends and he should go fuck himself. This is great. (laughs) I think I've been waiting for something as stupid that makes me feel as much joy as Dharma invented a video game to find his apprentice. (laughs) Nothing has made me this happy that is, you know, a stupid manga moment, so... (laughs) There's, there's such a joy when Shiki responds to a flashback. You don't need to do that. I'll be your friend. This is what friends do. Joy, joy, friendship, Yukin. You're like, wait, what? What's happening? He punched all the bad parts out. Why did Wise even show up? You didn't do anything. What if, like, it had been just a little bit different if he was like, you don't need to do that. I'll be your friend. And Dragon Joe's like, uh, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> he still does it. He's like, I guess I can still change. Bah! <laughs> oh, what a fucking joy. All right. <laughs> oh, all right. starts. Nick, where'd all that enthusiasm go? <laughs> Ayakashi Triangle. It's a new series by Kentaro Yabuki. If that name sounds familiar, he did uh, Black Cat in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And then he was the illustrator of To Love Rue for a number of years. So, because uh, with that knowledge in mind, uh, I had a pretty good idea of like, okay, it's probably going to have some weird dumb fan service in this because I know what y- Yabuki likes to draw and it is girls body parts um, I wasn't wrong but I will admit that going into this I do remember people who hated to love Rue but liked Black Cat telling me oh yeah Yabuki's like slumming it right now he's capable of so much better because apparently like his Black Cat is like looked higher upon i've never read it I, myself i i have read black cat you have i i yeah that was one of those series that when i first started getting into reading manga buying the english tonko bonds uh i should just say volumes it's a weird thing to still be used as a japanese term for uh but the english volumes that was one of the ones that i don't know if i think i collected it 
or if not, my friend collected it and I borrowed them from him. And I remember kind of liking it at the time. I think, I, obviously I haven't read it in probably like 15 years, maybe 20 years now. No, it had to be like 15 years. Um, but I haven't read it in a very long time. I don't remember it being amazing. Okay. I can remember it being kind of okay and there being fun characters and some kind of interesting concepts. But it is very battle shonen-y of right. that time. And then Yabuki just took some of the characters he liked and then just put them into Love Room anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you could tell the ones he liked. Look, there was a girl who could breathe fire, I think, who wore a Japanese schoolgirl outfit. And I do remember that. I mean, I didn't read this, but I'm familiar with some of the characters. Like, I think that a lot of people were really into the character designs in that series. So. I like the dude with the top hat who looked like a, an eight, like a 90s band musician, just cut his hand open and he'd shoot blood everywhere. That dude was awesome. Well, he didn't show up until Love Room. What? He wasn't, he wasn't a romanceable option? He, wa- he was not one of Rito's 300 love interests. <sighs> Fucking garbage. Uh, but, like, Eve became Yami, and Tearju just showed up as Tearju, and I think that there were more, but anyway. So, as someone who has read as much of To Love Rue as I have, I definitely was like, I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to like this. I did not expect, however, for me to not like it for the reasons that I ended up not liking it. Nick, what's not to love? It's about Exorcist. We haven't had an Exorcist manga in Jump okay, so- in... At least 20 to 30 years. It's it's like not since like, my God, has there ever actually been one in jump? So in the past couple of days <laughs> before this chapter dropped, I was actually just going back over like series that had like recently debuted and finished. And I was like, my God, there's so many fucking exorcist manga that have come out recently in jump. And also, you know, when you think about it, like. Uh, the ones that have finished recently, too. There's so many of them. And then, of course, there was that one shot, the uh, the, the the all ghoul yep. school. That's about an exorcist. There's Mitama Security. There's so many freaking exorcist series. And it's like, here's another one. <laughs> so, it, it's now. it's is there like does Jump have a contractual requirement to have a series about exorcists and yokai I mean, in their magazine at all times? Some genres just go through periods where they're really popular for a bit, I think. Um, and I do also think that, you know, there is there might be a thing where, like, maybe just the current editorial team is really into, like, exorcists as a thing. They want to, like, have a really good exorcist series. So they approve a bunch of things of a particular genre, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what the reasoning is. But, yeah, it seems like there's been a lot. So. I know that there have been, have been like Exorcist series to some degree, like all through Jump's history, mm-hmm. but it just seems particularly when they're specifically just exorcists as opposed to like a, a little twist on it, like Spirit Detective or Soul Reaper or whatever, for it to be like they're exorcists, you know. Although in this case, they're exorcist ninjas. So that's a little bit different, I suppose. It wouldn't bother me so much if it wasn't that it press so much on the the yokai thing or the Mm -hmm. the shinigami shikigami kind of thing because i'm like there's been other series as you mentioned where they do the exorcist thing like d gray man did it but i don't really recall them ever like they were exorcists in that but i don't recall them ever actually fighting like yokai or things like that but i don't know this is another one where i was just like 
All right, let's see if they have anything fresh to for this one. And boy, howdy, did they! So I'm going to go through this very quickly. I'm just go- I'm not going to go through this page by page. I'm just going to explain generally what happens. Uh, Katara Yabaki draws it, so in general, it actually looks pretty good. There's a few shots where it's like, huh, that girl's thighs sure are being focused on a lot. Um, and uh, there, the chapter title basically tells you everyone you need to know. Matsuri, Suzu, and the Ayakashi. And Ayakashi is a, is a type of yokai. In this case, a white cat spirit who looks like Korin from Dragon Ball, basically. Uh, he wants to eat this girl named Suzu, but her friend Matsuri is a uh, an exorcist ninja and is dealing with that. And... Um, so he you know, immediately like beats up this Ayakashi guy. Uh, it turns out we learned through flashbacks and stuff like that. They've been friends for a really long time. Since Suzu was young, she has always been had these uh, yokai drawn to her, particularly like weaker spirits were gather around her. And she's like friend to all of them and stuff like that. But we eventually learned that uh, Matsuri had learned from his grandfather, who was like the master of their you know style or whatever, that she uh is a bizarre occurrence among among humans. She uh, ha- is an Ayakashi medium. She exudes life force that Ayakashi are drawn to. And so he was warned that eventually uh, he she would be attacked by a more powerful Ayakashi. Uh, and the Ayakashi is, uh, in this chapter, is Shirogane, whose true form is this, you know, giant, evil, wicked cat that has all of this power and all of these various spells. Matsuri had been warned about the, you know, this possibility from when he was young, and so he trained really hard to be this ninja so that he could protect her, uh, no matter what happened. And uh, so Shirogane takes his true form in front of Suzu, uh, and then Matsuri shows up, and as he shows up, Suzu's like, you know, you should have just told me why you were doing this from the start, Matsuri. You know, you're so stupid. Why did you keep this a secret from me? They have a fight. Uh, it's actually pretty cool uh, in general. Uh, like, you know, pretty good art. Uh-huh. And uh, Matsuri had been warned by his grandfather. Listen, you know, this was a guy who was once deified as a god. You can't just beat him head on, but you can seal him and, you know, take this scroll. I've poured my power into it for years. It was meant specifically to be used against him. He'll let his guard down around you because you're young. So you should have an opening. And sure enough, he's able to use it use a sealing jutsu and he's being sucked away. And as he's being sucked away, Shirogane sees Suzu and Matsuri getting really close to each other. And he's like, damn it. They're going to get all cuddly if I'm gone because he's got this weird, like jealousy thing. It's a, it's weird. Like he wants to eat her, but it's also sexual. It's weird. So he's like, I won't allow this to happen. I know what I'll do. Secret art. Gender swap awakened. this on, on Matsuri and we don't see anything happen but uh, Shirogane's power is like sucked up into this scroll and then Shirogane falls to the ground in like his little chubby cat form again and when the dust clears Matsuri's got boobs and his hair is longer and it changes color in front of our eyes and they're like oh my god Matsuri's a girl now so 
cut ahead to like the next day, I guess, and Shirogane is all upset because of this. But he says, but I've changed that brat into a girl. Now there's no chance that they'll get romantically involved. Serves them right. And then he vows, you know, he's going to return to his normal form and devour Suzu. Then we go over to Matsuri's household. Suzu is helping him get dressed. And we see an immediate cheesecake shot because he's in his underwear. Uh, and they're like, you've got to put a sports bra on and then we'll put your hair up, blah, blah, blah. The grandpa's like, oh, gender swap awakened. A secret art. Even I don't know how to reverse. But it's been years since Suzu's coming to pick up Matsuri. You know? oh. So they come out. Matsuri's in a schoolgirl uniform, and he's like, I'm going to school. And his grandpa's like, at the moment, there's no choice but to accept this situation. I suppose it all depends on Shirogani's next move. But Matsuri, you just might have to be prepared to abandon being a man. And Suzu is teasing Matsuri because he's cuter than she expected. And Matsuri's like, I'm a guy. So... 33 years ago, uh, a series debuted in Weekly Show on Sunday called Ranma One Half about uh, a somewhat feminine-looking martial artist named Ranma who ended up falling into a... who, on a trip to China, ended up falling into the spring of a drowned girl and was cursed with uh, something that, uh, when splashed with cold water, he would take the form of a girl. And then when splashed with warm uh, water, he would revert back. Uh, it was a whole, you know, gender-bender thing. Um that series had a better idea of how this kind of thing, you know, actually is than this series in 2020. And it kind of pisses me off a lot. Look, gender bender sto- stories, my point in bringing up Rama is they're not new, uh, especially to Shonen series, because apparently when a guy turns into a girl, it's funny, uh, you know, because it's just like intrinsically hilarious, I guess. And also, you know, it's an opportunity to be like, oh, look, she, he's weirded out by his new body, which means that I can draw boobs and butt and stuff uh, while he's weirded out by it. Um, so, look, it's 2020. Like, our understanding of how sex and gender are related has gone forward by that amount of time and has made a lot of progression in the public um and the public understanding of it a lot of late. And it annoys me to see just the little things in this that make me realize that there is not going to be any sort of, this is just going to be a series that I think is going to make me angry a lot, but like in a way that just pisses me off because it's going to seem very ignorant. Uh, there are definitely stories that I think can be told with this kind of setup regarding uh, gender dysphoria, uh, regarding, you know, the relation between genders, uh, trans issues and stuff like that. Because basically what's going on here is that essentially we have had a character go from being cis male to being trans male. Um, and I think that having that bodily autonomy removed from someone there are things that you can explore with that. But instead, it's just going to be like, oh, he's a girl now. Funny, funny. And it annoys me when we've got, you know, it's one thing to have Shurik and I go like, well, they'll never be able to be lovey-dovey now that both of them are girls. 
It's like, well, I mean, he's the villain. You know, maybe he's just being an idiot about that. But then you have the grandpa being like, you have to give up being a man. It's like, well, I, mean, I have to give up, you know, on having a penis, maybe. But he's still a guy. He's just got boobs now. So just the little things about that that equate one thing with another when it feels like at this point. I mean, look, earlier this week, we had the Supreme Court make a ruling that, you know, you can't fire someone for you know, being LGBT. And now we just just like, yeah, but there's still idiots in the world. And there's going to be more idiots in the world as because they're going to be young people who are reading this and being like, teehee, the guy's got boobs now. He's a girl. So it pisses me off in a way that I have trouble actually being eloquent about. And I've had several days to think about this. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you. We're very elegant about it. Uh, Nick, the booze bounce made me go teehee. I'm going to add it to the recap now. <laughs> With my second veto in the bank contract. How many of these did you win? <laughs> I had a couple stored around the house. You, you like you like hold the ladder match in secret every every week after you cash in. It's like, and I've got the news. <laughs> but I'm so scared of heights that it still takes me like a couple hours to get up there. You do you do the wrestler climb even though you haven't actually been uh, you haven't been hurt at all. You're just like. <sighs> I eventually just take out a broom and I start trying to poke it down <laughs> off the ceiling. I'm like, get down there, get down there. Um, so, basically, uh, yeah, I agree with you on a lot of it. It is, it is unfortunate that Shonen Jump has not had uh, pretty any good representation for a very long time. The closest thing you'd say is like, oh, there's... Uh, presumably or at least alluded to a not a, a non-binary character in dr stone and there's a trans character in one piece who is like 757th on the billing if you were to like make a billing <laughs> list of one piece characters so it's not like there's a, a ton of this so yeah this definitely is a series that comes in a, an area that it feels tone death I, I don't want to immediately be like, well, it's garbage. I hate it. I, I need to see where it's going because maybe there's something more to this. As I said, maybe the cat's dumb and this could immediately be a story that is about like, yeah, gender identity doesn't have to just you don't have to be mm -hmm. a cis male and a cis woman to, to fall in love in the way this stupid ancient cat douchebag thinks you have to. Um there is very – I mean there's like no time spent on actually talking about how Matsuri and Suzu actually feel about what has happened yet. I will note because the gender swap jutsu is performed like six pages from the end or something like that. And then after that, the only people's thoughts we get are Shiragane's and Matsuri's grandfather. And we just see what Matsuri and Suzu are doing and not any conversations they've had about this beforehand or anything like that. But there are little signs that really don't give me hope for what's going to happen. The fact that Matsuri is like, well, I guess I have to pass as a girl now, as opposed to like, I mean, dude, I mean, put on a vest and like cut your hair and, you know, whatever. Then Obviously, you can't make a joke about how fluttery skirts are, Nick. Yeah, um, there's that. Uh, I mean, yeah, there, look. I'm sure that eventually there's going to come a point where someone's going to do the whole gender bender comedy thing. And then uh, there's going to be like, you know, a guy will stubbornly just be like, I'm just going to keep on living as a guy. And then you'll have it basically be a thing about trans issues. Or you can have someone, you know, 
the point of it is that they realize, like, actually, I kind of like being a girl. Maybe this is how I wanted things to be all along or something like that. My point is that the, the, this device that has been around for a long time can be updated to have a modern context to it. And it seems like this is a series from the past instead, and that bugs me. Uh, I will say this series has a very honorable distinction uh, in the same... I don't know why series going nuts. Quiet. Uh, in that, because you said this series, ah, uh, series, yeah. Uh. yeah. Uh, this series has a very honorable distinction in that it joins uh, the scissoring chapter of uh, Chainsaw Man of being too hot for the mobile app. So you yeah. have to read it online on the no, website. It wasn't, I was really worried when I saw that because I was like, "Huh, I don't see that series on my app." And then I looked on the Twitter and it's like, "You have to watch view it on your browser." I'm like, "Okay," and then I read it and I'm like. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, there's some stuff there, but not anything worse than what we got out of 90% of the chapters of Food Wars. I mean, I do wonder, actually, if it if it has to do with Shirogane being such an asshole, honestly, some of the comments that he makes, but I don't know. I, I think it's just that it it's definitely alluding a lot to her. Sec- I think it's the shot with the candle seems to be a very suggestive shot. That could and also be misinterpreted. Her, also her helping get Matsuri get dressed, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? But, uh, hey, we'll have to see if Chapter 2's just as raunchy. I guess we'll see. Bone Collection! Bone Collection is ready! Chapter 7. I want to cut you. <laughs> Nick, I oh. know, but what's the chapter about? <laughs> uh, uh, Kazami's got a cool sword now according to pyra the sword that he has drawn is the 11th strongest in terms of spiritual energy this gives me hope that he's going to just hit the top really quickly and then it's like ah well no we ran out of strong bones end of series no nick we don't have that much stuff we still have so much summer left to get through no so they go through the dummies that have been summoned and they charge into the mansion together Abe has encountered uh, what's-his-face, the drunk demon guy. Uh, Abe seems to definitely have the upper hand, but then he takes a drink and he grows in size and power immediately, uh, breaks apart Abe's uh, shield thing, and so Abe's like, oh, wow, that's really scary. If you'd hit me without protection, I wouldn't have stood a chance. And then the devil charges forward, and she's like, oh, oops, I was talking so much, and now I'm in a bind. Yes, I hope that it, that is what happened. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just because you're self-aware doesn't mean that it's funny. You have to actually execute in a way that's humorous in order for it to be funny. No, no, they they did it. They did everything they had to. Yeah. <laughs> so then she goes, maybe I'll end it with that spell. But then uh, Pyra and Kazami show up, and Kazami blocks the uh, drill that the guy's got with his sword. Uh, they're trying to get Beichan to uh, stop and calm down, but apparently drinking alcohol has caused him to go into, quote, drunk berserker mode. Some people are angry drunks, so. Oh, yeah. My father. So Pyra's, li- so Pyra's like, the only thing we can do is sober him <laughs> up. <laughs> it's going to keep going. <laughs> it's going to keep going. <laughs> so... Pyra says that they need to hit the sake bag on his back, which is another drill. I don't 
But yeah, she says it's like a second stomach. If you destroy it, he'll sober up because that's how, how that's how alcohol works. You know, once it's already been distributed throughout the body and has influenced the brain, if you just, you know, rip out someone's stomach, then it'll be fine. So Abe uh, takes her form again, muscle form again and tries to punch through the drill and it doesn't work. Uh, Kazami tries to slice through the drill and it doesn't work. So then they're just running away. And uh, in a very, very dumb looking picture, they're they're running away. Uh, and then Pyra's trying to explain, like, listen, the sword's attack power comes from when it's swung. And Kazami's like, well, it's really hard for me to do that right now, though. So Abe's like, listen, I'll stop his movements. And Kazami, you move into a higher position. And then Pyra's like, well, what about me? And Abe's like, you're the bait. And she she just shoves her into the path of the drill and it starts boring into her stomach while Pyra goes, but she's fine because her her bones are hard. But guess what? Her sailor Fuku's not super strong. So, oh no, her her boobs get out there. They're in a bra now. Her, her bra, oh, no. her bra is indestructible, though, as evidenced by the fact that it is pristine. Not a Pris- scratch on it. Not a single scuff in any of the lacing or ribbon or it's, it's it's such a frilly thing you think it would have been torn slightly, but no, it is perfect. Thus making the exact confirmation we finally need to know that her bra is made out of her bones. Presumably. Yep. I mean Yeah. So Abe hauls Kazami up to a higher level and uh Pyra starts talking to Bay about stuff and giving a friendship speech. Uh, Abe throws out some seals in order to halt uh, Bay's movements, and then Kazami comes slashing down, cuts through the sake sack or whatever, and Bay falls to the ground. And they're like, "All right, good job!" And everyone you know, collapses and is happy and stuff. Pyra's one like. You know, Bay's looking more human since the last time I saw him. And Kazami's like, Ugh, staring at her boobs. And then Pyra's like, how dare you? And kicks him in the head. Bay wakes up, identifies Pyra. Uh, and then he looks over at Abe and is like, it's a Lolita hag. And I think she beats him up because there are boom and slam and crack sound effects on the outside of the mansion. So that was the chapter this week. It was worse than the last couple of weeks of Bone Collection. Uh, this was dumb and stupid and had terrible artwork. And really weird fan service, and all the characters being dicks, as we're used to. So there you go. All right, let's go talk about a good chapter now. Good chapter now. It's a mashal. Mmm, cream pops. Why I forgot that that was your thing. (laughs) So, it's the first chapter of Mashal that doesn't have Mash's name in the chapter title because it's not a Mash chapter. Uh-huh. Uh, chapter 19, Lance Crown and the Shuriken Thrower. So Mash is hanging out in the uh, in the owl barn. Uh, Lance is there to keep an eye on him. Uh, but then uh, someone declares Seafield and a pool of water immediately emerges underneath Mash's feet. He falls into it. Uh, he doesn't seem all that worried at first. Uh, as he's just kind of going, <laughs> those two Langdorm people that we saw before, the big creepy guy and the guy who made obvious statements have shown up. It seems that the big creepy guy has water powers I and the, what he does. <laughs> and the obvious statements guy is throwing big old shuriken around similar to the one that he was carrying around with him. Makes sense. So, 
the two of them square off as the two as the two Machia Lupus mages introduce themselves as the group's sixth and seventh fangs. And they say, we're going to fight for each other's coin. Mash is in trouble because despite being made of fitness, he can't swim, apparently. <laughs> oh, uh, the sixth thing, the big creepy guy says, well, then allow me to do to assist you as Mash sinks all the way into the pool of water. He transforms into a shark and jumps into the pool after Mash. He just say that sentence again. He turns into a shark and jumps in after Mash. This is the coolest fucking series to jump. This is like this. I'm that meme where it's like the guy who's looking over his shoulder and it's like me hand in hand with one piece. But I'm looking over the shoulder at Mashal because Mashal's just been so much cooler recently. I'm like, this is the best series jump. <laughs> so that leaves Lance with Shuriken Guy, the seventh thing. And Shuriken Guy says, let me tell you something important. And Lance is like, what? And he says, in a fight. There is always a winner and a loser. And Lance says, thinks to himself, damn him. He broke my concentration by stating the obvious like it was an earth shattering revelation. Um, like, I don't know. Uh, women's championship at Backlash ended in a double count out. So. I, so they. Brief wrestling tangent. So. We, I don't think we're allowed to do this on the show. So apparently, apparently Paul Heyman um, lost his like uh, head of creative raw job because Vince decided to do that. Um, and then shortly after that broke and backlash went on afterwards, people were like, yeah, the Drew McIntyre Bobby Lashley match was mostly laid out by Paul Heyman and the ending was was decided by Vince. And then it's, you look around everywhere and it's like, man, that match was great until the ending. So it's like, God, what what the fuck is this? <laughs> Just this, we live in this world where this fucking guy just... <laughs> All right. And he pays people to make his company but, essential business. But Akira Tozawa has ninjas now, Nick. You get it? Because so he's silly. Asian. At least he's actually the right nationality, but still. So. All right. So. Uh, Lance reacts to the shurikens is like, hey, I, I, I can use my gravity magic to just, you know, stop these giant discs. I'll be fine. But then he looks around and there are owls that are right next to the seventh fang. And he's like, oh, no, the owls are next to him. No, no, no. I've got to use my gravity magic and crush them. Uh, but then he gets an image of his little sister in his head going, don't you pick on those owls. <laughs> he's like, you're right, Anna. Your big brother was wrong. <laughs> So the seventh thing is like, did you know in this world there is only the strong and the weak? So stupid. So uh, he starts to use more of his power, which means throwing more shurikens. Now, if I learned anything from reading Naruto and following Tenten, this can only work for a benefit. And then I think that scene ends with a time, like a, a cut forward in time, and she's been defeated on a like on a field of all of her misshapens. Like, holy shit! You can put so much care into every character during this, arc, except Tenten. You clearly gave zero shits about her didn't even see the fight like the one fight we don't see in that entire sequence <laughs> uh but uh we it actually turns out that lance allows the shurikens to hit him because oh no 
there are owls behind me too. So uh, he's just taking the blows. Uh, the seventh fang mocks him by identifying him as, you know, the child of the crown family. And he knows the history, his history and stuff. And uh, he says, I can't believe you turned out to be so weak. Did you leave because you were a failure? I pity you. Did you know crushing those weaker than you is the best feeling in the world? Uh, and he goes on to say, you exist to prove that we're your betters. But, um, Lance uses his gravity magic finally, but nothing seems to happen. And so the seventh thing is like, poor thing, time to end this. And he launches out three shurikens. <gasps> so uh, he gets ready to you know strike the final blow. But then he's like, huh, wait a minute. The owls are over there now. And Lance uses his gravity magic and crushes all of the shurikens immediately. And he says, the owls were in the way, so I moved them. And the seventh thing realizes, wait, so with the last spell, he used the shovel to break the feed bags. The reason he wasn't fighting back was because of the owls. So he launches a, a really big shuriken. And he's like, this is my most powerful. immediately. <laughs> and he's crushed along with it. And he's like, how can this be? We're both double line magic users. How is he so much stronger? And Lance says, you fight to prove you're better than others, but I'm different. I have to fight for the sake of my sister. Let me tell you something important. A selfish bully like you never stood a chance against someone fighting to save his sister. So this was a fun chapter. Um, in terms of Mashal, I think it's one of my less preferred chapters, but... I don't think there's been a bad chapter of Mashal yet, so it was still pretty good. I think it just comes goes to show like how much we kind of depend on Mash to actually deliver the really funny stuff. And Lance isn't that type of character, so there's less of a surprise whenever he does something like use really powerful gravity magic. Wow. But it was a unique situation that he found himself in. I did like that, you know, there was humor derived from putting a serious character in a bizarre situation and just seeing him react to it. Yeah. So. It was a very, very good chapter. All right. So mission Yozakura family. Pew, pew. I'm boring. Mission 39, the aquarium trap. So Chris, I have mixed thoughts about this chapter. Is it that it's boring and it's very boring? Are those the two mixtures you're dealing with? That it both sucks and blows at the same time? Like some kind of defiance of physics? I thought that this would have unequivocally been a better than average chapter of this series. If not for the fact that the stupid fucking annoying spy introduced in the last chapter is all the fuck over it. It's just kind of like there's this better chapter creeping around from the wrapping that he puts around it. So... Like the first page of this chapter where you don't know that he's going to show up. It seems like, oh, this might be fun. Look, Mutsumi's hanging out with this beluga and the beluga's mimicking all of her movements. How charm, how charming and cute. And then he shows up immediately and is like, I can't believe he's still on a date. How dare he be WWE? I want to be the main character. <laughs> so he's just stalking them as they're on this aquarium date. As Mutsumi's going around, she's got this like 
this like shark mascot uh, hat on and she's enjoying her day going out with her husband and Taya's like, I've got to guard her and stuff. And she's going and enjoying herself, checking out all these different, you know, sea, you know, aquarium mascots and sea creatures in their tanks and stuff like that. Well, this one asshole just keeps on going around like, I'll ruin their dates. I'll ruin them. <laughs> I hope that's his voice when this inevitably gets a fucking anime because it won't die. I should note that uh, apparently, according to uh, sales figures, like Ma- both Mashal and Undead Unluck are actually outselling Mission Yozakura family at this point. Uh, there was like a statement made on like the Mashal uh, official Twitter saying like there being reports about uh, a bunch of stores actually like selling out of the first volume. So that seems like a good sign for a series that we really enjoy and one that we dropped and uh, might be bad news for a series that has kind of like passed us by. So, well, there's there's Yuna of oh, the Hot Springs just ended. Promised Everland oh. just ended. So and there's two more Demon series. Slayer, so. Yeah, so there's two more series. I think that will probably be gone in this run. I think there's two spots left. Um, I don't think Mission Yozakura Family is going to be one of them. It, I don't think so. It seems far more likely that it's probably going to be like a Gravity Boys or something like that. A series that's younger and hasn't. Yeah. Anyway. Also, like, uh, Mitama Security is like, has been running as long as Mission Oh, Guardian of the Witch. Sorry. That's the one that's absolutely going. Yeah. 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 And and, uh, Mitama Security has been around for about as long as as Mission Yuzakura Family, and it's selling like way worse. So, well, I guess we'll see. Um,. There um, eventually reaches like a cute uh, moment where they go to see a dolphin show and Tayo has managed to communicate with the spy trained dolphins that are in the tank because that's the thing that exists in this world. And he gets them to like, you know, spell out this message declaring his love for Mutsumi. And he like gets down on one knee in front of her and is like, hey, you know, I keep on making mistakes around you, but would it be okay if I stayed by your side anyway? And she's all embarrassed and pleased by it and stuff and everybody claps everybody claps and then loser spy gets his comeuppance and that's it so yep a chapter yes i agree the first page is very cute it's a shame that there was 18 pages that had to follow it What if we just judged everything by its cover, Chris? Maybe that would... (laughs) (laughs) That would be a great way to do it, honestly. I think that's what we need to start doing in the future. Right, so let's do... Let's review this chapter of Time Paradise Ghost Rider. Uh, Everyone's upset at... Your plagiarism's ready. (laughs) Everyone's upset that Tepe is torn at the manuscript and they're shocked by it. Anyway, moving on. I think think this is okay. I feel like it doesn't tell enough of the story. I kind of wish we had gotten more, like another eight. Let's move on from last week. I wish we had gotten like another 18 pages or so. But, you know, for what we got, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. (laughs) Next week, I'm like, I don't know how we got to this point. Didn't he have to finish that manga? (laughs) So, Tepe has, he confirms what we suspected last week, which is that he recognizes that I know uh hesitated before she said oh yeah the chapter's perfect and she realizes like no no it's a lie because there's no way that someone as genius as her would call this perfect she would never call this art perfect and he grabs her by the shoulders even and says hey be honest with me this isn't good enough right i've got and he starts to say out loud i've got a responsibility but he of course can't tell her that so he just thinks to himself while he's like looking 
in like panic and desperation into her eyes like i'm responsible for the story you're supposed to draw in the future i already because i already started today so i'm responsible because i stole the real thing from this world and so he says tell me the truth i trust in your sensibility so be brutally honest so i know kind of recovers and she puts on this smile she's like oh was it that obvious i guess i'm a pretty bad liar but yeah, I mean, I think that you and I actually are really are alike then that, you know, you recognize that. So um, the Tepe's editor shows up and he's got he's got takoyaki from for everyone from a store apparently called It's a Takoyaki, which is <laughs> kind of weird, but OK. Um, so he's like, hey, guys, yeah, I heard that you were going to finish up the character art. I was kind of terrified when you decided to redraw the entire thing, but I'm glad we're still on schedule. Where's the finished start? And it's over and it ripped up a pile. It's like, what happened? So, yeah, editor feels so. Tepe, of course, is demanding, like, let me redraw it again. And he apologizes. And he's like, listen, it's missing something. I can't give White Knight to three years yet. So Zedder says, all right, you can redraw it, but... If you haven't redrawn it by morning, by six in the morning, you have to figure out what you think is missing or else the draft that you did before the first draft you did before you did this set of redraws, this one that you're the least happy with. I'm going to send that to the printer if you don't figure it out by the morning. So, I mean, that's a pretty good you know, approach. Like, listen, I know you're not satisfied with it, but we're going to have this backup plan. And I do appreciate the realistic but uh, accommodating uh, approach he takes to that. Uh-huh. So Tepe asks everyone to go home uh, because he can't allow them to see the actual volume of the manga. And so he's like, this is my last resort. I'm going to photocopy the real thing and trace it. I didn't want to do this, but my feelings don't matter. The readers need to see the White Knight as close to the real thing as possible. It gets to be three in the morning or maybe three in the afternoon. I don't know. Yeah, it's three in the morning because it's dark outside. So uh, but he looks over his work and he's like, it's no, no I, I can't even recreate. I can't recreate even when I'm tracing it. There's no soul to the characters now. It's it's just, you know, a fake. What should I do? Doorbell rings unexpectedly. Aino shows up and Debbie's like, what are you doing here? And Aino says, I need to tell you something. You're a bird! And she flaps her hands. So apparently she just, like, actually is, uh, what, Nizuma from, uh, from Bakuman, if she's doing this, so. It, it reminded me of, uh, my high school Spanish teacher. Because she, <laughs> she would very frequently always, if we, because we were terrible students, of course we were. So we would constantly get something wrong, and she'd just be like, are you a turtle? And everyone would be like, what the hell is she talking about? And she would usually eventually get to that point where she'd be like, you're so slow at getting to this or you hide inside. But it would always it would always start with that. Like, are you a something? So be like, are you a crab? And you just have to sit there like, I don't know where this is going. Yes. <laughs> you just have to sit there. <laughs> my Spanish teacher in high school was one of my Spanish teachers rather in high school was the same way. She was just like, it was, you know, her mind just worked in weird ways. Yeah. Maybe we had the same teacher, Chris. <laughs> she would just like jump back and forth between her states. Oh man. I wish I could so, remember her name, but the only thing I remember from four years of Spanish lessons was Sacapunta. So 
It was really weird when she made that comparison. <laughs> Are you a pencil sharpener? <laughs> like, yes. I think I see where this is going. We, we need to sharpen our senses. She's like, no, the pencil sharpener exploded. Fix it. <laughs> Use your teeth to sharpen the glasses. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> A lot of lead getting in my mouth. Don't think that's safe. So, anyway, in in manga world, Aino's just declared Tepe to be a bird, and he's confused by this, so she says, You're a bird flying freely through the vast open sky, tied down to nothing. Anyway, good luck, bye. <laughs> So, Tepe calls out to her, and he's, you know, desperate at this point. He's like, tell me, tell me what this version of White Knight is missing. And I know turns to him and says, why would you ask me? And Tepe has to cover up for what he's just said, but he's like, well, you know, you were drawing White Knight by coincidence, and the storyboards you showed me were good, your finished art is amazing, and I also think of us as two of a kind. So, he covers up, and she says, well... Yeah, I mean, that. I'm glad you say that, but I don't have the answer for you. This is your white knight. At first, you know, I was drawing the same thing, so I figured I could be your assistant and give you advice. But the thing is, it was seeing how deadly serious you were about one and it made me kind of my senses. And it made me realize that this is your story. Of course it is. So don't worry about what I say. You are too worried. So I appreciate it, but you should draw White Knight the way you think is right. And that's how you manage to draw a manga that suits you just like you did with the one sh- shot. Nope, getting a little bit of hiccup there. Oh, sorry. Well, Tepe has a, has a revelation when Aino tells him, you need to, man- to draw a manga that suits you like you did with the one shot. And Tepe realizes what made the one shot good. And so it gives him a, himself a big double-handed slap on the cheeks. Thanks, I know, for the advice. And he's like, all right, I'll try doing it my way. And I was like, all right, I'm going to bed. <laughs> so Tepe, uh, you know, gets back to work. And he's like, you know, this my white knight. It's not anywhere near that simple. But she really helped me realize something. I've been trying to model this after the original, trying to recreate it perfectly. But that's just going to make this look like a counterfeit. I'm not Itsuki Aino, I'm Tepe Sasaki. So if I'm going to keep drawing this manga, I have to do it with my art, and I have to draw my take on it. And so nine days later, when the deadline comes, they submit the completed chapter, and they've managed to get it done, and his editor is incredibly pleased with it. It brings him to tears, and he says, like, you know, when you were doing that first version and the second version, it was effective and it had a nice change of pace, but I like this way better. It feels like the characters have blood in their veins. So, good job. And Tepe apologizes to all of his assistants for putting them through all the shit that they have. I know it's like, it's good, but it's not as good as my true level. And, you know, she kind of pisses off the, you know, young hot blood assistant and stuff. And uh, then Tepe's like, hey, by the way, do you mind if I ask your opinion on this? And I know says, well... It's far from perfect, but I think it's really great. This is awesome. And so they, you know, celebrate together and they and she and the young assistant start to squabble. And that's the end of the chapter. So. Yeah, uh, it turns out, Chris, that if you want if you want to be an artist, you shouldn't just, you know, copy someone else. You can learn a lot from other people's artwork. But yeah, in order to actually draw your own manga, you need to draw your own manga. So. 
Oh, but it's still cool to steal things, right? Still cool to steal things. Okay. Yep. All right, cool. I've liberally lifted my entire image of myself from various pop culture relics of the early 2000s. So if I were to lose those, I, I think I would melt away into like a ghost on the wall. Still, inter- I mean, it's really weird because like I'm starting to get the impression that the issue is less that Tepe has actually stolen the series and more what that how that is how that is actually going to affect him. And we're going to have to just kind of leave the point that he did steal it and have him actually have to confront that at a later point. It doesn't seem like it's going to actually happen anytime soon. It's just going to be things related to that, that he's going to have to deal with for a little while, but we'll see how this goes. I did. Like this was the chapter that made me realize I must've made a mistake when the first chapter came around. I thought the thing was that the, the, the microwave sends out a copy of jump he reads it and then it vanishes afterwards. Because yeah, they never pl- really addressed how it came back. So. I guess he judges misplace it, like because every other one's been still around. So I don't know, man. All right, well, that's that one. All right, let's talk then, Nick, about we never learn. Question one sixty two. Oh, sorry, hubba hubba. Uh, question one sixty two. A pizza bet equals Sleeping Beauty of the Literary Forest Part Three. So uh, I'm going to zoom through this one because, to be honest, this one could be summed up very quickly. Uh, it's right around Valentine's Day. Uh, the girls decide they're going to make chocolates. So they're going to do it at Femino's house because she's injured. And I guess this is where a branching off point in the timelines is as well. Because she's injured, all this stuff is then going to happen. But Femino is sort of like, uh, she comes home. Uwege is there. She's like, you can't be here. A bunch of girls are coming. Uh, she can't say that part out loud that the the girls who are coming have crushes on you. So if you're here, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, but, and she can't cover. She can't cover up Yuiga being there, but being like, yeah, he's occasionally been coming by to help me out with stuff. You know, as a, because he doesn't want them to know that he's just been like his her living servant practically for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, like this could be resolved very easily. But if we did that, then we wouldn't have really weird intimacy fan service. So. So we get this whole chapter. The girls show up. She's like, if it's like, I have to hide Uega. Hides her underneath the Kosetsu or what, it, what do they call it? The uh, I forget the name Kotatsu. of it. Kotatsu. Hide her under the Kotatsu. Hide him under the Kotatsu. And she's like, you just stay here, and then we'll, we'll sneak you out. But then, of course, all the other girls show up, and they're like, hey, cool, this is a great place to do it. Let's start making chocolate. And like their their toes and stuff are getting all over Uega. Uh, and he has to get really, really close to Femino. He has to basically hug her and not say anything at all. And there is the most adorable moment of maybe the entire series where Uega has been thrust in this situation by Femino. It is entirely the onus on her, but he's hiding underneath this table and he's like, is this what they call a girl party? Well, I'll just cover my ears until it's over so you can enjoy yourself. And it's like... There's no world that is good enough for this poor kid who just is always giving it his best. Uh, so I forget when it was that Yuigo was like in the bed with Ogata and they were trying to hide the fact that they were in the bed together while someone else was like in the room to talk with them. 
I forget if that happened after the branching off point or not. But like if that had happened previous, if this has happened previously in this same timeline and (laughs) then it's just like, come on, everyone's used to fighting you in embarrassing situations. (laughs) It's very common by the nature of this series. It happens at least once a week. Uh, So the girls start talking about how they're they're going to give their chocolate to somebody who they like. Uh, Ruka specifically saying that she is going to give her chocolate to somebody she really loves because she made that promise to do it as soon as exams were over. So there's a little bit of nervousness on Firmino's part because she's like, oh, they really, you know, they have these feelings for him. It, it, It hurts. So they leave. Yueka apparently did have to stay underneath the Kotatsu the entire time they made fucking chocolate because he's just sitting there drinking water afterwards because he's been dehydrated, and I assume covering his ears for hours. Uh, but Fumino was apologizing, and he's like, hey, it's okay. You know, it's 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 my fault. I'm the one who put a damper on your girl party. I I, I didn't mean to listen to anything. And Fumino just says, yeah, it's it's even though I knew this was coming, it just drives it home. And that the special time we have between us will be over. And she she tucks her chocolates away. She's not going to give it to her. So this chapter has a different feeling. So if this was We Never Learn, the regular running series, I would be very annoyed. Because this is the quintessential Femino storyline that has been her character Mm. arc since like chapter 40 or whenever they first developed that. She wants to be in love with Uega. But she supports her friends and she can't let herself do it. So this chapter does hit differently when we kind of know that within six chapters or so, she's going to finally get with Uega. So I don't mind it here, but it is a weird moment where you're just like, this would be a garbage chapter in regular We Never Learn. And it feels like a regular We Never Learn chapter, but in this alt route thing. It's kind of interesting to get this context, I guess, hopefully one last time before we move on there. I'm kind of curious to find out what's going to be the catalyst. And I wonder if maybe it's the fact that Aruka said that she's going to confess after exams. Mm -hmm. The most interesting aspect of this chapter to me is just kind of in seeing where the changes happened. The changes in Ogato basically were just like, yeah, uh, so I got close to Yuiga, so Aruka didn't confess. But this one seems to be much more like uh, kind of sewed into the fabric of the months leading up to the the exams and stuff. We're seeing little differences happen here and there and how one change at the beginning of it has kind of led to different changes along the way, Uh, which is more interesting to me than just being like, we're months in the future and Aruka didn't confess. Therefore, Ogata has a shot now. That's and that was basically it. Um, Beyond that. This is probably the least interesting chapter of this arc to this point, I think. Uh, I didn't like that we just had, you know, like another, oh, no, I better hide the fact that this is happening so that there's not a weird misunderstanding because we've seen a million of those and we never learned by this point. Nothing really is going on. And that's about it. So, yeah. Yep. All right. right. Chris, Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned. Z equals 154, spy versus spy. As uh, we go back and uh, get out our old issues of Mad Magazine, and uh, oh, spy versus spy. Ooh, that, blew, that one blew that one up. Yay. 
This so. is very hilarious. Now time to read about uh, the weekly Pimple Popper report and uh, celebrity names that have been made to be insults. This is top tier content. Never read Mad Magazine. So. I My brother was a huge fan of it and cracked back in the day, so I saw a lot of it. He used to actually have, and that's why I referenced it, a poster. There was a video, like a poster of a guy popping a pimple and his entire body shot out of it, basically. And I remember oh, I, was, Jesus. I was like, I was like, this is the grossest thing in the world. <laughs> I was like, this is revolting. Powerful stuff. Yep. All right. So, uh, both of the two science kingdoms are on the move now. Uh, Senku has sent out, you know, Sukasa's, you know, little elite squad. And uh, Zeno has sent out Stan to assassinate Dr. Taiju. Uh, meanwhile, Sukasa's group is going to try and capture Zeno. And we're introduced to some more members of this American kingdom of science. Uh, so we have uh, two dudes who are just kind of like goons, basically. There's one guy who looks like a pirate. Yep. Um, and then there's one guy with a long nose and glasses. It looks like a dork. And uh, they're both in love with uh, the other new character introduced in this in this chapter, Luna, who is so thick. <laughs> I, I know that there are definitely women who are shaped this way. I'm not surprised by that. I've just never seen one drawn this way in a manga that we've read. So it kind of took me off guard. She is thicker than the bottom of a bottle of Elmer's glue. Like, Jesus Christ. Was that like something JR used to say? No, well, that's I thicker had than like... a bottle of a bottle of a bottle of Elmer's glue. I was trying to think of one that see I was trying to think of a metaphor that A hadn't I'd never heard before and B didn't actually sound sexual. But then again, <laughs> I've heard people call I've heard girls call it thicker than a bowl full of oatmeal, and I don't know how that's supposed to be sexual. So anyway. Oh, no, Nick. Oatmeal is the sexiest of breakfast Just foods. It. You think about it, it's all lumpy and <laughs> bland. So she has hips, is my point. Uh -huh. And the Boichi will not let you forget about it. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Anyway. So she is going along with Stan while the other two goons carry just equipment uh, and, and basically a bunch of water. And she's going along with Stan and Stan's like, yeah, that heavy stuff could leave marks on your body and you've got a job to do. Uh, and the job involves the dress that she's wearing, which is has these uh, broad stripes on it uh, going horizontally. And... Uh, we cut briefly over to the Perseus, and Ryusuke's like, there's stagnant air. My captain instincts say that's a bad omen. And when we cut back over to Stan's group, they're up in a tree. High up in a tree. And uh, they're spying on the Perseus. And uh, so Stan's taking out a bunch of different instruments and stuff and taking uh, measurements, measuring the humidity, measuring the, the, the wind and stuff like that. And uh, so people are asking, like, what are you doing? You know, why, why are you doing all this? And he just says simply, it all affects bullet velocity. And he takes out and assembles a sniper rifle. And they're like, what, from this far away? He's like, yeah, I'm going to snipe the enemy science leader with a rifle made by Xeno Science. And we get 
a fucking awesome two-page spread to show how fucking long and badass this sniper rifle he's got is as he's perched up in this tree and is taking sight at Taiju, who happens to be right next to Senku. So he says this is, you know, this is optimal firing position and Luna asks, are we really going to kill them? And he's like, well, just their science leader. Um, and she hesitates and questions this and she's like, oh, no, no, you know, I'm just kidding. You know, just making sure that these two wimps over here aren't going to chicken out. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're so cool, Ms. Luna. But then she says, well, you mentioned you had a job for me to do. Uh, and she and he explains, yeah, each of the stripes on your dress is five inches. You're my yardstick. By matching it with my crosshairs, I can calculate the distance to the target. He's like, oh, awesome. Uh, and so he's like. You know, you're about their age, Luna, so they're less likely to see you as a threat. Board their ship, find Dr. Taiju, lure him onto the deck for three seconds, give me a sign that he's the guy, one shot, will end this. And we get this visual of someone exploding next to Luna. I should, I should point out, the bullets that they are going to fire from this thing are like half a foot long. Yeah. So this is a sniper cannon, basically. So Luna gets set. She approaches the Perseus as she's about to come around from behind the bushes. She you know, smears a bunch of plants onto her body. And she's like, I'm the smoothest operator. I'm Luna, the capable gal. And she rushes out, uh, you know, huffing and panting, acting all desperate and stuff. And uh, Stan thinks to himself as he's watching from afar, you know, I know the kind of people that they are. You know, they're still staying put here because they're reluctant to abandon an ally. These kids are so naive. Softies like that won't ignore a girl calling for help. You said to spy? Well, here's our counter-op. Two can play this game. And Luna calls out, you know, I'm help me, I'm desperate to run away from the horrid Dr. Zeno. And we see, you know, a bunch of people reacting to this on the purge. It's like Moses is like, oh, she's cute. Because, you know, one track mind and stuff. Ryusui is thinking like, hmm, I do want to help her, but we can't take her at face value. But without an ounce of hesitation, Senku goes down the ramp onto the shore and reaches out to her and says, Are you hurt? Come onto our ship. There's no need to fear. You're safe now. And Luna's taken aback by this, and she blushes a bit. And Daiju's like, Hey, come on, we'll give you first aid and stuff in. And everyone's like, Why is Senku turning on the charm here? And of course, why is Senku turning on the charm? It's because he has a plan. It's all part of his machinations. So, uh, we do briefly see Sukasa's group talking amongst themselves, trying to get information, you know, get there's information and stuff. Then we come back to the Perseus again, and people are all talking amongst themselves, like, why are we letting this suspicious girl on the ship? Moses is like, she's cute. Yo is like, well, Senku's a man. Maybe, he, you know, doe-eyed blonde just push all the right buttons for him. And Yuzuri is like, uh, no, you guys, that's, <laughs> you know, I, again, you don't know Senku. <laughs> so, and this Senku is walking, you know, and leading Luna onto the ship. He's just thinking to himself, we'll extract all the info we can out of this girl <laughs> and send a coded message. He's, you know, immediately gone into full hunched over evil scientist mode. And yeah, so yeah. Um, I really like this chapter because, like, hey, there's this very dangerous setup, and Senku's just like, okay, come on, come on, info girl. So, yeah. I do like also, uh, it's one of the few pieces of science I really enjoyed. Just, like, he gets up there, and he's, like, taking temperature and all these stuff. Like, what are you doing, you big nerd? He's like, 
all of this is vital to being able to I'm make a shot at this <laughs> like it it was always something i remember hearing when uh, i talked to randy all the time where he'd always mention he was like yeah when i was sniper you have to take and count the curvature of the earth you actually have to be like absurdly good at math to be a sniper you're like oh uh oh that's <laughs> i i just assumed i was bad at call of duty because i suck but apparently it's because i'm dumb as well yeah, don't you just put the crosshairs on their head and boom. Yeah, you just point it over and then boom. That's what those mobile game ads seem to suggest. I remember getting, seeing like a, having to answer a physics question once, which was like, you're trying to shoot a monkey. And, <gasps> uh, and uh, at the exact moment that you fire, the monkey falls out of the tree. Where should you be aiming in order to hit the monkey? And it's like, you need to be aiming exactly at the monkey because gravity affects the bullet and the monkey the same way. And we actually set up this like whole thing in the classroom where she like, you know, had like a little catapult for, or like a, it was like a little air cannon for like a ping pong ball. And she had this rig set up so that it would simultaneously demagnetize a target and drop it from the ceiling at the same time. The ping pong ball got fired. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, because you have that whole thing where it's like on the moon, the feather and the brick fall at the same rate and stuff like that. But it's still kind of weird to get in your head, like the way that gravity actually does affect everything. Mm. All right. Anyway. So. Good chapter. Uh, yep. Chainsaw Man. Brum, 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 brum. Chapter 73. Everyday life. No more. Last time Aki had gone to uh, what's his face? The old agent whose name I forget, every Kishibe, Kishibe. his name, uh, and told him, hey, can we just take the team off of this mission to go after the gun devil? And uh, so we are in the apartment now at this point. All three of them are like gathered up in bed together along with Miaui. Um, and Aki's just says to Power, hey, you stopped screaming last night. And Power says, looking back on it, I may have defeated the devil, the darkness devil. Yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> sure. So, uh, they're like doing dishes later, and Aki says to Denji, Hey, are you going to be okay to look after power on your own when I go to work? And Denji's like, Yeah, we'll be fine. And they're like, All right, everything's good now. But Aki gets a call. Apparently, all three of them have been called into headquarters, and they're meeting Makima. And Makima says, I'm sorry for calling you out of the blue, but I heard from Captain Kishibe. And so, Hayakawa, as you requested, Division 4, you can withdraw from the expedition to eliminate the gun devil. But Denji and Power will be going on the operation. So, Makima's the villain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's been evident. I think that if there were ever any doubt, then this outright, no, you can't. is <laughs> like the most straightforward, I don't care about them, because all I care about is what they can get me. The villain. <laughs> so Aki asks, you know, what what do you mean by that? And she just clarifies, they're under my supervision and I'd like to show more people how, you know, their capabilities in order to legitimize your division. So I'm going to have them join uh, Devil Extermination Division 7 to carry out the operation. And, you know, operation members need to be briefed on related classified material. So if you're sitting it out, you have to leave. And so Aki gets really tense for a moment, but Denji's just like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I've got plans. I've been winning for this. And Power's like, and Denji's my buddy, so I'm going too. And of course, they don't know what the fuck Aki did to try and keep them out of danger. 
So he just says, Miss Makima, may I join the operation too? So every time he tries to get out, they pull him back in. You just, you have to feel bad. This poor guy just cannot catch a fucking oh. break. I wish we could go back to like chapter three when he was just being a dick to Denji and you could kind of dislike him. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, this guy sucks. I'm never going to like you. You're like, oh my God, when will the sadness conga end? And Makima immediately is like, of course you may. They'll need a guardian. So, uh, And then she assures him like, you know, Denji doesn't die. Power is quite sturdy. So you just need to worry about yourself. <laughs> it's like, oh God. So then she says, all right. Well, if all three were on the operation, then I'll tell you what we know regarding the gun devil's current status. The information I'm going to disclose can't leave this room. The gun devil's already been defeated and confined. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so she says, when the Soviet army sighted the gun devil for the first time, it had already been taken down by someone else and was in an unconscious state. 20% of the gun devil's bodies possessed by America, 28% by the Soviets, 11% by China, 4% by other countries. The remaining 37% is held by devils around the world as flesh pieces. And Aki is immediately like, but that's impossible. You know, what about the guns that killed Himeno and Kurose and all the others? And Makima's like, those were made by man. And Aki's like, but gun manufacturing is strictly controlled by international law. And Makima's like, well, yeah, but every country regulates guns in secret in their own and you know so although it seems that the people trafficking guns are claiming they obtained them in contract with the gun devil to cover up the truth and Aki's like well that just sounds like a conspiracy theory and Maki was like I mean it's the government so <laughs> <laughs> as all sorts of governments funneled arms to areas in conflict even before the gun devil and Aki's like well then the fear of guns will only keep rising. Of course, the gun devil will only get stronger. And she says, well, yes, as it should. And then the nations in possession of more of the gun devil's body will have the upper hand against other nations. So, of course, it only makes sense that they would want that to happen. So Aki says, all right, well, then if we're going on an expedition to eliminate the gun devil, does that mean? And Magma says, it will be a kind of war. Uh Oh, so, after the meeting, they're hanging out uh, outside, and Aki is just, you know, collapsed in, like, goddammit mode on the bench. And they're like, "What? why are you so down? I mean, we just need to go kill it and go home, right? And he says, well, if we kill it, then the body will be collected by public safety and kept by the government. We aren't going on a mission to kill the gun devil. We're going on a mission to take the gun devil from another country for Japan's possession. And then he's like, what does that mean? And Aki says, the gun devil can never be killed. It will live forever, always being used by one group or another. And Denji starts to get it. And he's like, well, that can't be right. I mean, but he's like, well, I made a promise with Makima and she told me she'd grant me any one wish if I killed a gun devil. Hmm. That doesn't make sense. Aki starts to get a headache and he has a vision. And he gets freaked out and doesn't really tell Denji and Power what's happened. But that night, after they've gone to bed, Aki's sitting up in his own bed by himself, and he calls out, Future Devil, show yourself. And the Future Devil shows up, and he's like, 
I come out when you say the future rules! <laughs> I fucking love that the future devil's got, like, this stupid gimmick. Yeah, I keep like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? And the future devil just goes, <laughs> and He's like, no. He's just like, <laughs> like I just, Why is the future devil such a cop? So he asks, what was that that you showed me this afternoon? And he's like, that was a future soon to come. A future absolutely unavoidable. You and power will be slaughtered by Denji. And after that, the devil that devils fear most shall appear. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So this had a bit of a social commentary in it, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of always been a little bit there. We get it a lot more emphasized here. And, oh boy, you really, like, the just the brutality to what Aki has to deal with, where he's like, I thought I had spared my friends. Now they have to go on suspicion. I have to go too. And we're never going to get vengeance for my family. Because they're just going to take the gun devil and always use him. I will never get the satisfaction of knowing the gun devil's dead. And Denji's never gonna get to be have Makima be his girlfriend because she's <laughs> I don't know. never to do that. I don't know if Aki's thinking that, but yeah, it's 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 a very brutal collage, and I mean it's weird because I've 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 been kind of trained that when these big things come up, these big, like, uh, predictions or something like that, you always kind of take it with a grain of salt, like, oh, is that really going to happen? Because a lot of jump tends to be about, like, free world versus fate, like that sort of thing. Like, is it destined to happen? Okay, change it. But with Chainsaw Man, I really wouldn't be surprised if Denji just straight up kills the other two main characters and kills them. Like, it wouldn't be unthinkable. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what happens when you have a series where it actually, you know, shows you that, hey, characters can die. And even if they don't die, they can get fucked up because, you know, look at what Aki's been through. He's, you know, shortened his lifespan as much as he has. He's lost an arm. And then we've got, you know, like characters that we actually did have a little bit of time to get to know, like Beam and the Violence Devil. They just got fucking massacred. And meanwhile, Makima is this incredibly powerful uh, puppet master who apparently made this promise to Denji never intending to give them the opportunity to live up to his side of the deal so that she would never have to do have to do anything for him because she just has him on a fucking leash so all right the promised Neverland it's all over neck it's the 181st chapter Final chapter. Beyond Destiny. Hang on, I need to do that like Yami Yugi. Beyond Destiny! Now I'll reflect your infinite attack back and forth. Wait, what? The music's like, huh? This is a power beyond infinity! So, get this two page spread. Emma and all of her friends hanging out on the beach. Look at how happy they look. Uh I wish the Promised Neverland had been as good as the color pages it's gotten for the past. I was going to say, you could could say a lot of things about Promised Neverland, but its it's color pages are always phenomenal. So, 
two years have passed since the last chapter when Emma arrived on Earth and didn't have her fucking memories of her family or apparently of anything that she had been through. I guess she doesn't remember anything about what happened to her life. Uh, And we get narration saying, we've been looking for her, but we've made no progress. And so eventually, as they're having a meeting, like, how are we going to find her? Gilda says, what about forbidden zones? Like when Norman asked us to search for Sanju Mujika, maybe there are places like that here, too. Areas where we can't go or aren't allowed in. And Norman's like, a country that doesn't exist anymore. Regions and countries that are destroyed by war or disasters. Places where people won't be living because they don't exist in 2049. So... More searching. Montage. Of course, we saw at the end of the last chapter that, like, you know, there was that, you know, American tale thing where Emma and Ray were, like, on going in different directions along the street. They just missed each other. So, yeah, we know that they arrived in the right area. Eventually, they get to that location, and Ray's looking around, and and he's like, uh, okay, I guess we'll call home, and then we have with Norman's group. Wait a minute. My baby memories are telling me that people who are dead want me to turn this way. <laughs> Wait a minute. I understand. The voices of characters whose names I've forgotten call out to me. No, I didn't I'll, forget them. I was just testing you. I remember, Jonathan. I'll follow her. Somebody. He's just, shout, he's just shouting this in the middle of the street. <laughs> Out of my way! Eric told me where to go! And he's just pushing people downstairs. He's like, just fucking... He's like, going around the street, running directly into people and like, turning directions so he can shoulder them out of the way. <laughs> Ray, there's like, five people on this entire road and you hit all of them and you're circling back around to shoulder check them out of your way. Get out of my way! Yummy told me where I needed to go! <laughs> Ray, that's not even the name! Wait, wait, that one actually exists. (laughs) (laughs) So he's looking around and he misses Emma again. But then Santa Claus, homeless Santa Claus points out, wait a minute, you're missing your necklace. And so she's like, oh, yeah, I'll go check outside. And she spots it on the ground and picks it up. And Ray and Norman and Gilda and Giselle and Don are all there. And And stupid hat girl. It's uh, Jillian. That's what that's yeah. what her name is. Not so, uh, they're like, "Yay, we found you, Emma. We've been looking for you, Emma. Oh, you met Emma." And Emma's just like, "Who are you?" So she, of course, has no memory of any of this, and they're like, "No, we thought we'd finally found her, but there's no numbers on her neck. Does she not know who she is?" And so Ray's like, "I have baby memories of the conversation Emma had," <laughs> and. He's just like, so your family really was taken from you. You lost your memory. You were separated from us. And her memory and all the connections with us were taken from her and put into me. <laughs> now I'm the leader of the group. Everyone loves me as the leader of this family. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, Emily. And he pushes you down the stairs. <laughs> It just like opens up a pit. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> like Ray, what, what did you think you were doing? What do you think this is accomplishing? We haven't done a lot of hashtag Ray lately, but this is gonna be our last chance to do it while talking about the Promised Neverland. So might as well get it. In. Yeah, we're just gonna cram it in everywhere. I don't know how we can have a flashback if Emma doesn't remember this, but anyway, we have a flashback to her making the deal with. Blah, 
and uh, him saying, the future you want beyond this wish is to laugh and live with your family. And But Emma's like, yeah, but this isn't a sacrifice. It's selling my selfish request. It's not very selfish to just want to live in peace and have everyone be, you know, be all live in peace, but whatever. She did. She's like, because this is the only solution she could have that wouldn't require anyone to die or for her to have to lose anyone. And she says, you know, of course I want to be with everyone. And this decision will probably anger them. But this way, everyone can go to the human world. There will be no demons, there will be food, no one will be terrified, no, they will never have to kill. No problems will exist on in, on Earth, ever. And this way, you know, everyone can be free, we can stop the tragedy, and from now on, everyone can live happily. So this is the best future I could for. And of course, in the present, everyone's really upset because, oh no, Emma doesn't remember them. And they're sad for her because, oh, no, you've had so much taken away. And Gilda's getting get in her face being like, you don't remember us! <laughs> oh, um, Emma kind of shoves everyone off and she's getting really upset. And Phil Rouse says, the woman is scared! So, so, um, Norman, however, is the only one to say, Thank goodness. He starts to cry in relief because he says, even if your memory is gone, I'm glad you're alive. You're eating well. You're healthy. You don't have any, in, any injuries. Smiling. You haven't seen her smile to this point. I don't know what kind of, for all you know, that guy's abusing her anyway. So, but I know you're not alone. So we're glad that, you know, the fact that we were able to meet you here, I'm, I'm happy for that. We've all been well. We're all going to school now. This is the two or three panels to have the and here, where are they now talk. I legitimately, until they brought them up, completely forgot Cislo and those were real actual characters. I, for some reason, I was like, I was like, they all died fighting the queen, didn't I? I was like, no, they technically survived and I guess are all going to live happy lives. Because... They used Adam's special DNA to cure them. Yay, weren't we happy? We had a whole plot thing about that. Anyway, everyone survived. Norman survived. Hooray. The children from the mass production farms don't need the help of respiratory systems and can even walk on their own. Okay, everyone's going to school now. Aishi hasn't killed me either for now. <laughs> Like, all right, that was a thing too. Glad that we had that whole thing where she fucking hated Norman for killing her dad. <laughs> awake. <laughs> oh yeah, thank god Chris is awake. <laughs> I hope that fucker was in a coma for like six months. Like this fucking stupid I don't what why was he sick? I don't even remember what was the cause anymore. He got shot in the when remember when the two nameless guards got shot in the head? He got injured at the same time. No, I don't. <laughs> I just remember we had to get him medicine. There was a whole thing that he had. And that was why Anna was useful for one arc. <laughs> By the way, I don't think she gets a line in this chapter. <laughs> no, why would she? Well, we don't have time for her. We have to talk about Chris. So, anyway, Norman wraps up by saying, we're all happy now. This is what you wished for. The results of your decision turned out to be great. And everything we have you gave to us, you paid for it with everything you had. But even so, I wanted to be with you. Have you smiling with us? And Emma's like, I don't know who these people are. Who the fuck are they? And why are they unloading all this shit on me? But she's crying and she doesn't know why. And she's like, even though I don't know them, oh, I can't remember. Why does it feel warm, but also painful in my heart? And she says, I feel like I've always wanted to see all of you. 
That's and okay, so, Emma. I'd cry if I weren't hashtag Ray too. A hellish I just, existence. I just, you know, use this eyedropper to like, because, you know, all of you are crying and, you know, I want, I, I, I put the eyedroppers in my eyes before you start crying. I actually started. Yeah, I'm crying. a big tough guy. I never cried before at anything, but I, I wanted to cry because you were all crying. I, I mean, no, crying I mean, cool. You were crying because I was crying. Uh, yeah. that's, that, 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 I'm a trendsetter. <laughs> I was crying before it was cool. So, narration says, there was a future we wanted. A destiny we couldn't change. We fought and fought back. We grasped something. We lost something. And, of course, there's one last flashback to Rias saying, you'll never see your family again. So What? We wanted to see you. We've missed you for so long. And Norman says, it's okay if you forgot. Even if you can't remember, even if you're different from who you used to be, once more and forevermore, let us live together. Screw destiny. And they all hold hands. The end. <laughs> and that so is... glad that we, that we dedicated these chapters to having Emma lose her memory if it didn't matter. <laughs> so I, I, there's a part of it I actually do kind of like that they don't go back on it. It's not something they go back on. She doesn't get her memories back at the end of this. She's not the same person. It's just like this idea that the feelings tied in with these people are enough that she can, she can recognize there were those feelings. That's fine. This whole little thing here in a vacuum, it's fine. As an ending to The Promised Neverland, this was very boring. It doesn't really leave you excited. It should have just ended with them all transported to america and you're like holy shit it was our world all along as opposed to like two chapters of this and then no conclusion for any other character which i guess is pretty par for the course when it comes to promised neverland because no character except emma has mattered in any stretch of time longer than like two months norman was supposed to be a war criminal he did all these awful things and there's no delving into any part of that aside from him saying Aish hasn't killed me yet. I don't know if that's supposed to be a joke or if he's like legitimately concerned that she's just going to take his life one day. We don't, we're not going to address it. Everyone's happy. Credits. Can you think of a single plot contribution Ray actually made since like Goldie Pond other than, and he was also there when Emma did a thing. No, I, he, he went with her into the dream and then got kicked out because he wasn't special enough or he, he wasn't able to Basically. get there. So, yeah. So, no, uh, he, he and he's inarguably the third most like important character in the series. Like You can't even yes. try to pretend like someone else is in that spot. It's Emma, Norman, Ray, and then fucking a collage of characters. There was... Like, Phil was given this big, important responsibility when he was left in order to look after everyone because the older kids were leaving and he did nothing. Uh, the, the, there was that whole thing where it's like Don and Gilda are like just as important now and then they did nothing there. God, it, it's such 
it's so weird that they they we kept on getting these important. A she had that whole big thing where it's like, oh, she's so mysterious and she never talks and. Uh, she only speaks the demon language. And then we had that big reveal about the conditions and why she talked that way. And the fact that she was there because she didn't actually because she hated Norman. And that was why she was actually going to help them. And then she did nothing. So what the <laughs> fuck was the point of so much of this stuff? <laughs> it's it's annoying because the promised Neverland is a maybe the best example I can ever think of. of this, uh, because often when you talk about a narrative, you talk about story, like plot versus characters. And generally, I find most stories tend to be more about characters than story. I, I, I like in my mind, I can almost never think of something where I'm like, no, it's just really don't. It's just kind of the story and the characters don't matter. Promise Neverland is a perfect example of the story that had its own whims and a character, like a cast that is just so irrelevant to it. It's essentially like playing in a D, like a homebrew D&D campaign where the DM is like, we're going to do my, the story I want to tell. And you're like, I, I guess we're just along for the ride. And that's essentially the, the, the crux of this all. Like, I, I don't want to like poop on the promised Neverland because the, like the first, I arc- do because <laughs> I feel comfortable doing it because it is, I, it's not beating up on a bad series. It's no. beating up on a series that has gotten so much acclaim and has gotten a bajillion tie-ins and adaptations and stuff. There are going to be two live-action series of this, Chris. My 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 thought my point was that I I wanted to specify the the start of the Promised Neverland was very very good. It the, was like we yes. I I feel like it was if not our series of the year it was one of the ones we talked about i know we definitely considered emma as like a protagonist of the year at one point there was a point in time where the promised neverland wasn't just good it was great and obviously it's waned and kind of waxed a little bit and then just fell off a slope somewhere in the last like four months and there's a for that there's yeah there's a part of me that's like a little sad it's gone but then there's another part of me that's like, sweet, one less manga to read every week. And that's <laughs> legitimately the end of my personal feelings towards the Promised Neverland. There is no other feeling in my heart left to the series beyond that. And that really is sad to me. I I, I do agree with that. I, like A lot of my feelings of the Promised Neverland in the last several months have just been, when is this just going to be over? Like, I just don't care anymore. And that does definitely upset because I do remember that, yeah, when the series was like in its in its beginnings, we were really into it. And then when it got to the end of that first arc, we were like, that was amazing. And then they were in the forest for a little bit. And it's like, this isn't quite as good. And then the the, the, the Goldie ponting and and it was like, well, yeah, there's definitely some good parts of this. It's kind of weird that, you know, they're just using guns now. Yeah. And then there was that time skip. And it sucked basically after that. And so, yeah, it was it's disappointing that a series that and it's really weird to see, you know, because there are a lot of people who have discovered the series now because of the uh, first season of the anime, which stopped at the point that that first story arc concludes with them escaping uh, Gracefield. And there's all these people who are into it now and are discovering and stuff like that. And I'm just thinking to myself, you have no fucking idea what you're getting yourself into it is literally never going to be as good as that again and it's never going to even get close to as being good as that again and it upsets me because it's just like 
it brings back and refreshes the memories I have of how good it was. And it brings into stark contrast to how things have been in the past year and a half, really, is where I've been really negative on it. Yeah. It, it almost <clears throat> kind of... It almost makes me kind of wish that maybe the anime could take like a, like a Full Metal Alchemist kind of direction. Like it could just create its own narrative at some point. Because, I mean, maybe it just won't ever finish, but, like, I, I struggle to think if anyone's going to want to follow, like, animating the rest of that story. Like, I, I, there's some people out there who this probably still is a great story and it means something to them. I'm not trying to say anything bad to that. But I just, for a story that seemed to be about Emma having to overcome these immense odds because of her crazy you know i should say crazy but her her, her devotion to to finding like a peaceful way to resolve everything and in the end everything felt like it came pretty easily and then it kind of felt like it was pontificating a little bit and then it kind of felt tone deaf and then it just kind of felt like nothing anymore because there was there wasn't even a spark of joy left in the series anymore. It was just ending, but taking a really long time to get out of there. <laughs> God. Like that moment when a party's done and the one last person's around and they're just like, hey, you're my least favorite person at this party. And even this is still like, could you just leave? Could you just go home? I want to go to bed. I can't think of a more depressing way to describe the series, so I think we hit the right one there. Okay. Let's finish with One Piece. One Piece, super! <laughs> so, I had, I had a, I, I like a breaking point while I was uh, reading this chapter, chapter 982, Scoundrel Meets Scoundrel, where I was eventually like, who are some of these people? Why don't I just make Chris recap like One Piece? Yeah, we can always do that if you want. I might have to do that, especially since you don't have to do Seven Deadly Sins anymore. But we'll 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 figure it out later. All right. So Black Maria is with Kaido now. Who's Black Maria? I don't know. She's a woman who is apparently very large. She's one of the Tobirasu. Okay. Tobirapo. Right. Right. She was the large one with the Tobirapo. Right. See, I'm bad at this, Chris. <laughs> well, Nick, Kaido is one of the four emperors. <laughs> What? <laughs> Luffy is a pirate. He has the ability to turn into rubber. He ate Hang a, a second. I've been reading a series about a pirate this whole time. Hold on. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, she's cozying up to Kaido uh, as they're having a big party. And, of course, Orochi is there and stuff. And uh, Orochi's talking about, yes, you know, soon Kondro will arrive. His acting role will be finished after 20 years. But Kaido's like, hmm, yeah, it's very impressive. Uh, I could have easily killed him without realizing it. If a man who was so utterly trusted claims that Odin never told him anything, then it would seem that he gave no hints to his samurai about getting to, uh, la getting to laugh tail. And uh, so at that moment, Kondro arrives. And I'm not the first person to make this observation, but is Kondro a giant now? Cause I, I like to think... He's like Palming Momonosuke. So. I like to think so. If you ever played World of Warcraft, uh, there's a very fun thing in that game where when a character has to go from being a regular character to being a boss, 
they slowly get larger and larger because when you inevitably have to fight them in a raid, they have to be so ginormous that they don't get lost around like 69 people cracking at their ankles or whatever. So you'd see like a regular character who you just met like the other day who was like a normal sized orc model and then they become evil and they're like 16 feet tall now and you're like, yeah, you're a boss. I get it. And I was like, that's exactly what's happening with uh, fucking Kenjiro. He became a bad guy, so he had to get really big so you'll know when enough characters are punching at his ankles. Works for me. Uh, so that whole thing in a, in a previous chapter where Monosuke was like hiding a knife, uh, seemingly, or getting ready to hide one. Yeah, Kanjiro just says, yeah, he cut his ropes and tried to escape, so I had to pacify him which basically means you just beat the shit out of this little kid because he's an asshole he so. really looks like he pummeled him he's got swell, swelling everywhere and ble- and is bleeding from his head and mouth and ugh. but Monesuke is still alive he's you know just had the shit beaten out of him so uh Orochi is very pleased by this uh and Kaido's uh says huh you know I do remember you you were one of the Akazai and I and I remember you very well. And he remembers, you know, mocking Momonosuke when he had him in his grasp. And uh, so Momonosuke is thrown to the ground. And uh, Orochi says, let us raise a toast to Kanjuro. But Kanjuro makes his report and warns them about what is going to happen now. Uh, and Orochi's really pissed off about this because like, well, that was your information that, you know, and so Kanjuro apparently is still under the impression that Kimon kept him out of the loop on purpose. But uh, nope. So, yeah, the fleet is coming to Onigashima. And so he starts to freak out about this. People are telling him, like, no reason to fear yet. There's not been a single ship at dock. But the trio of battleships we sent out have not yet returned. And four pirates have been sighted on the performance floor outside. Referring, of course, to Luffy and Zoro and uh killer and kid uh so so they say like it's entirely possible that those pirate crews have already disembarked on the island and of course you know they're pissed off to hear this but he explains well master queen's handling the situation so i thought it best not to disturb the feast there aren't any suspicious samurai that anyone has seen either so anyway we've got everyone here on the island so nothing can possibly happen and Orochi is freaking out, of course, because he's like, oh, God, the ghosts are coming for me. Yeah, he's, and Momonosuke, he's meanwhile, out. Momonosuke, of course, has a little bit of hope now as well, because, uh, you know, he knows that Luffy is on the island. Uh, but he's also worried because he hasn't heard that Kinemon's there and there are no ships and stuff. Uh, Orochi grabs Momonosuke and just like squeezes him in his one hand. And he's like, I won't forget. This is the enemy's leader. Arrange a crucifixion stand on the stage. I will kill the last surviving Kozuki here and bring their history to its miserable end. And then this whole ordeal is behind me. I gave a shot at it. Yeah, I really appreciate that. That was a very good attempt. (gasps) Uh, We cut out to the sea outside of Onigashima uh, and to the submarine that uh, the Akazaya 9 are, are in with Law. I forget what Law's ship is fucking called. I don't if it, has it probably does. Who cares? <laughs> so they're communicating uh, via Denden Mushi with Cat Viper, who is with, now with, you know, Whitebeard's old crew with Marco. 
And uh, so they're they're talking about that and they're like, well, I hope that, you know, we're able to get in position the way that, uh, you know, we, we're planning and stuff. I hope that Momonosuke stays safe. Cat Viper reports to Marco that everyone sounds good and they're in the middle of the raid. Uh, Marco asks Cat Viper, what was the point of me asking you to send a message to Straw Hat Luffy? And Cat Viper's like, well, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll toss out this note then if we don't need it since we already communicated this. And... Uh, so he tosses out this little note that just says, I might be late, but I'll be there, Marco, and it falls into the ocean. This is an odd detail that I'm sure won't come up again. <laughs> uh, well, I thought is maybe it will. It is Oda. There's always a chance it could come up later, but it, it, it seems relevant that Cat Viper, I guess, just didn't think to say anything. It, it I understand the narrative reason. It gives Luffy a reason to not think there's more reinforcements coming. Like, he, he shouldn't expect that fucking Marco is going to show up. But it is kind of a moment where you're just like, scratch your head. You're like, yeah, I mean, this was kind of pointless now that you point it out. Denjiro is with his team with this in the South. And I do like this the way that this plays out. So Sasaki of the Toby Rappo sees him coming and it's like, Oh, Kyoshiro, I heard you weren't coming this year. Yeah, it's a surprise. What happened to your pompadour? Uh, anyway, uh, well, I wouldn't expect you to slip out of the feast too. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's Kaido's kid. You know, he's missing, and uh, but he must be still on the island. So I've got all the boys looking for him. And they just put him in sea, in sea stone manacles and chain him up. And he's like, what are you doing? What's going on? What? <laughs> Well, the Toby Rappo dealt with. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he won't come back up. Denjiro starts to uh, take his coat off and adjust his kimono and stuff, and he shows off like this big-ass tattoo that he's got, and he says, do you know much about Wano's history, Sasaki? And then we do a time skip, and uh, so, you know, people are still moving and, and stuff. We cut to where Chopper is. And remember, Big Mom saw him through the window. And it's just, just, it's just, she's just chasing Usopp and Chopper as they drive backwards in the tank while shooting at her. I do have to love that poor Usopp and Chopper are like, we're going to take the tank. We'll be so safe. And I'm like, oh, God, we're being chased by an emperor. Why is she? Ah. Uh. Kinemon uh, is glad that they're going in the opposite direction, so that means that he and his men can get out of the water. I do like the small detail that because he, of course, has the devil fruit that he has to be pulled out of the water. He can't swim. Uh, and they rush in the opposite direction. Uh, meanwhile, Nami and Karen Shinobu uh, had all gotten out of the tank, and so they're running off separately from Usopp and Chopper now because we don't need we, we don't have enough groups uh, to follow at this point. We need more. Uh, however, uh, Prometheus suddenly spots Nami and her, uh, what, what's their freaking her weather fucking thing? Climate attack. Uh, starts to vibrate and rattle. And Prometheus is like, it's the woman who kidnapped Zeus! And just goes immediately full flaming hell mode as, uh, the women freak out. And we cut inside of Kaido's castle. Page One and Ulti are running around the place, uh, and Ulti is acting kind of bratty, basically, because she's like, oh, I can't go on, Pepe, carry me. And Pepe's like, well, that's not my problem, stop running. And she's like, no, you're supposed to carry me! And she jumps on his back, and, of course, Page One falls down the fucking stairs and lands right next to Luffy. And uh, 
you know, the people, the gifters who he's with are like, is that Ulti in page one? And Ulti looks up at Luffy and she says, who the hell are you? And Luffy says, who are you? That's where the chapter ends. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of exciting. There's a couple things that are going on. I, I honestly, I really like page one's design. Like, we only saw him before when he was in his Zoan form, and I don't know why seeing him now, there's an aesthetic there that I'm like, I dig this. I like it. He looks so beleaguered and this this big side like, fluffed hair and he's just getting ridden on by fucking ulti. So, it's it's fun. I don't know what this end... I, I, Luffy's, I don't think, is going to fight them, because... That would be weird if Luffy took out two of the strongest members of this group. I was like, oh, don't we have a bunch of fights to do? So mm-hmm. I'll be curious. This might just be an opportunity to show off what Ulti's power is. Yes. And maybe true. it's an opportunity to, to kind of stall Luffy a little bit. But there's a lot going on. As the only the only part of the chapter I really don't care for, despite the fact that I think it actually is cool that Marco is there, which is weird because I hadn't given a fuck about Marco to this point. But there is a moment where you're like, oh, fuck yeah, Marco's there. I kicked down that boat full of people. That's awesome. It is really weird for him to have, like, showed up and be like, hey, didn't you give Luffy that message? Ah, since I'm already here, what's the point? Just throw it away. You're like, I guess I still have to read it, though. <laughs> Dickheads. <laughs> it is strange. All right. That's it. We're done. Yeah. Uh, so after technical delays, we have gotten through the episode of Weekly Manga Recap. And want to thank you, every, everyone who listened to the live recording, for their patience and, and everything. Uh, and we wanted to thank you, the listener. Yes, you, the person hearing my voice right now, just for listening to the show. It's cool. If you would like to support Weekly Manga Recap, you can do so via Patreon, patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. You can also just check out our previous episodes on podbean.com, weeklymangarecap.podbean.com. Uh, and uh, follow us on Twitter. At Dibamar Podcast is the official podcast account. Your hosts are at Rolotine at Nick F. Time. All right, let's name our favorites for this week. Favorite series and MVP. Uh, favorite series was Mashal. I think that was such a fun chapter. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and on that same line, my character of the week is Lance Crown. I, I thought mm. this. I I didn't say it too much at the time. I really, legitimately thought this was a fantastic chapter of Mashal. I thought it really blended a lot of things. I thought Lance seemed like a really cool character, and it was like, cool, there's a character in a series that's not Mash who I can enjoy. For a very different reason, too. Yep. So, Plus, the dude turns into a fucking shark. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, my favorite series this week was Chainsaw Man. I thought that it was just like, I mean, it's, you know, completely changing what the goal of the series is and really twisting on its head what you think is going on, but... Also kind of confirming things that you had suspected uh, in a way that, you know, hey, governments are evil and Makima works for the government and thus she's evil. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, beyond that, um, I also just really like, you know, the stuff that, you know, Aki's going through uh, and seeing, you know, that it seems like he's things are going to get even worse for him, which sucks. Uh, my favorite character this week, my MVP, I'm actually going to give to Kay from Actage uh, for reasons that I'm not 100% certain that the chapter intended to give me, which were, oh, this girl is a psychopath and, and that's how she becomes a better actor, um, which I think is just a really uh, cool, bizarre approach to it. Uh, 
All right. And, that uh, is going to do it. Sasha note, our audience uh, mistakenly uh, got confused and picked Mission Geo's Kura family and Motsumi as their favorites. We'll try to get those corrected and let you know what the actual ones were next week. Uh, I presume it was anything else but those. Uh, I was following the Discord chat while uh, I, while uh, shortly after the chapters were put up, and yes, there was some very positive reaction to Mr. Yosugura family, because despite Asshole Spy's presence, there was some stuff that they really liked between Taiwan and Musumi, so. Sorry, Chris. I think <laughs> they probably typed M and got confused as to how to spell Mashal, and it just ended <laughs> up looking like that, and that's fine. It's understandable. You have a chance next week to correct yourselves, and, uh, not pick something that was so boring. But hey, you know what? Uh, we all make mistakes. Squirrel Dude in the chat has a, an explanation that I like. Our community likes two things, Yuri and Fluff. So, Was there a lot of Yuri? Damn it! That means we're going to have to do... That means we're going to have to talk about Ayakashi Triangle. No! <laughs> Especially when I pull out my Vito in the Prank Peef case. I'm here to show the world. I'm here to show the world. That title ran ended poorly, and you know it. Oh no! I, I, it's exclusively because that is. Pr- I, I don't. I hate Dolph Ziggler. I've always hated Dolph Ziggler. I do not like him. That is the best cash in though of all time. Like the amount of excitement that there was for everybody. Yeah. Well, also because people saw it coming. So I, honestly, my favorite is Seth Rollins because it was such a, a shock and such a, like a perfect get out of jail free card for all the all of the Roman Reigns hatred and stuff. But in terms of like everyone just was able to enjoy it, then yeah, it Yeah. And most hype, spe- I guess I should say. Special thanks. Sorry. Ninja X3i for maintaining the spreadsheet that the Google Doc that uh, helps us out so much in terms of keeping recommendations and fan votes for Mission Yosakura family Sometimes order. Sometimes they get incorrect. It's fine. It, he, he's gonna work on it next time. Steve Mano Tyokarist Infamous Planet for the framework that goes around the visual stream of the of the podcast. Milo Jack Stillitz and Wizard El Cheddar for the opening theme of Week Mongeria Cap. That's going to do it. Uh, next week, hopefully, we'll have Dead, Dead Mount Death Play. It's such a weird title to talk about, but we'll see if we are ready to talk about that next time. Yeah, we'll see. That is good. Do it. Goodbye.